Hello and welcome to episode 144 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this episode is our last episode of the pre-Switch era, which if you kind of think about it, is a little crazy because we've been talking about the Switch since back in 2015 when it was still just the NX. It's like there's this party we've known about for a really long time, and we're finally like about to head out the door, and this is, the, this is it. We're at the home stretch. In fact, to run that analogy a bit further, we've actually been pre-gaming for the Switch in a way by um playing some old party games namely mario party 10 so we're gonna impressions of that at the tail end of the show that was your idea to do that which was a good one got back to like an old game it is now which is weird yeah so uh we've never talked about it though so we might as well throw the impressions in oh yeah and also in this episode we've got um one final roundup of pre-release news including some leaked software details uh hints of what's to come courtesy of some nintendo executive interviews and the latest on Zelda, 1-2-Switch, some third-party titles. There's also a roundup of investor briefing Q&A news worth noting, NPD numbers, E3 going public, our thoughts on Generation 2 in Pokemon Go, and, yes, the Mario Party impressions. So use those timestamps around Tile.com because it's, it's a fair amount in there for our final pre-Switch episode. And you, you may have noticed I used the word leak when I mentioned that there are Switch software updates. Um... To be honest, I actually really truly thought that this episode we'd have official details from Nintendo and we've talked about a new Nintendo Direct that just happened. We'd be like, oh, did you guys see the video? But there was no video because there was no Direct because Nintendo's been weird about communicating things these last couple weeks. You've seen it with the zero official details about online. You've seen it with how poorly messaged once you switch was at first, even though now we know, as we'll talk about a little later, it actually turns out to be kind of cool how it's structured. Uh, you're seeing it with the Zelda DLC that they just announced, which we're also, also covering later. The weirdest one to me, though, is that our only real look at what the Switch interface actually is and how it functions, from settings to profiles to anything about online, came out of a, came uh, out not from a Switch website update, not from a Nintendo Direct, but from a leaked confidential developer document from last summer and a video from a guy who accidentally got his Switch shipped to him two weeks early. If we didn't have those, we'd be totally in the dark. Which is kind of weird considering the system is out as of this podcast going live in 12 days. I mean, at this point, do you think we'll still get a Nintendo Uh game? I don't know because they're, they're going to do something because all the press got their, rev- their review units. a few random videos on the YouTube page. Yeah, I mean, honestly, just update the Switch website with a how-to guide of how to operate the Switch. And that's all you – like software. And that's <laughs> all you need. Like, And the press have their units already. They got them this past Friday. So maybe they're the ones just that get European to reveal it. Ones? Uh, American ones too. Oh, right? I think okay. IGN has theirs, for example. Oh. But it's just like – it's weird. And I mean, granted, we only care about these little things because we're the core fans who are super excited about these things. Like, average Joe consumer doesn't necessarily need to know that what the menus look like for the system settings before he buys it. But for us, it kind of matters. And what's weird is that, like, with the Wii U, I feel like we knew about Miiverse and Warwar Plaza, which, in case anyone forgot, is the name of that actual thing when you boot up the Wii U where all the Mii's run in. The actual has a name. Uh, the eShop, we knew all about that months before the Wii U came out. And now here we are 12 days before, and it's like, what, what's going on? So I think the, the biggest amount of information came out of that leaked developer guide I mentioned. So it's from July 2016. It was back when the Switch was called the NX still. And the guide, which I'll admit, I read through the whole thing, and I felt like an important investigative journalist because it says confidential on the bottom of like every page, and it's like stamped with confidential in the background. And it's like, oh, I feel so like 
sneak not sneaky but like ah oh, this is like this must be what it's like when you break a political scandal except it's about menus on oh, the switch <laughs> but um yeah so i looked at that and it, it goes through all the specs all the menus all the options some of the dev kit info we're not going to talk about every single thing because that's just nuts but for those who are curious over at the blog post for this episode on ramtown.com we do link to a story that has all the screenshots and links to the leak guide itself so you can go read that if you're curious for the nitty-gritty stuff but for, fit, for for the sake of conversation, I think what's interesting is kind of what is and isn't in the Switch, at least on the software side, based on its leap. So first, there's what the Switch can do, which um, some of it honestly is extremely basic. But it kind of is required for a portable that doesn't have a clamshell, and we didn't. I don't think anyone really thought about it. So then when you see it, you're like, oh yeah, Nintendo would need to include that, and good thing they did because they've never done a non-clamshell, I guess since Game Boy Micro and Game Boy Advance, which didn't need many of these things because they just were on or off there's no sleep mode there's no wake there is no you know either they worked or they didn't but this one you have to include things like um a lock screen a sleep mode a quick menu so whenever you jump back into your game after it's in sleep mode and unlock it you're not just like oh suddenly my game's right you need a second to kind of orient yourself so it gives you a screen with news updates and stuff on one side now you click through go in like all these little things that you wouldn't think would be a big deal and they're like well you know if nintendo somehow forgot say a web applet that lets you log into Wi-Fi networks, even though there's no web browser, you need to be able to get on public Wi-Fi. If they somehow didn't include that, that'd be a big blow. So the fact that's there is kind of like, ah, oh, Nintendo actually thought this through, unlike when, let's say, Wii U launched and key things were missing at first. So there's that, which is, again, it's kind of a duh for mobile devices, but it was nice to see it was actually there. Uh, the more interesting stuff, though, so that's actually what we're talking about, is probably what the f- Switch does involving online options. For example... Contrary to everything we thought and heard, you can actually send and see friend invites and perhaps more importantly, individual game invites from the system. And unlike Wii U and 3DS, where you need to hit the home button to know when a friend comes online or anything like that, or when you get an invitation, these are just going to drop down in the bottom or top left corner in a little box as you're playing like it does on other consoles until it finally gets that. You don't have to somehow have a premonition of, I think my friend just came online. <laughs> or you know is I mean? that just a Miiverse post or a yeah. like or something? Or, and, you know, I mean, two Wii and 3DS is correct. They had the little light that came on. But if you weren't happy to be looking at the controller right then and there or looking at that spot of the 3DS, you could miss it. But now it's, like, on your screen. So so there's that, which is nice. There's a freshed out, uh, freshed out, a fleshed out friends list that uh, it shows what your friends are currently playing. It would, in theory, let you do... I mean, the Wii U kind of did that. Yeah. So the um, 3DS, it had the little, you rotate between it and it shows. Yeah, and but, then if they were playing something that you could jump in on, it would give you that option. But, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much things that have been standard for the, like, the past 10 years. Yeah, but it's fine that they're new to Nintendo in a way. Yeah. But there's also, like, like there's this nice, I don't know if you saw, did you look through the leak? And, and I saw depth? a good amount of it, just stuff that I felt was relevant to me. Like the online friend stuff? Yeah, and, I like the grid look. I mean, it seemed nice to know that, like, all right, so you're not fully, like, dependent on that app, but I don't I still feel like the app could be handy. I don't know, like, now knowing that there is some stuff on the console itself, I, I feel more inclined to use the app. I don't know why. Well, that was our whole thing. That was our whole thing. I, I, I said like, only an app, like, but you need a console counterpart, but now where it's like, oh, it's on the ca- console, okay, that's great, but if I want to use the app now, I can't, like, it's the option yeah. that we were annoyed that, but we and I think most of the internet was annoyed there's no option. No, we just option. want to have the option, too. Yeah, which no. is such a virtual problem, but, yeah. but yeah, I do like that there's joinable states. Like, we, we and 3DS had that where uh, certain games you could hop into what someone's playing directly from the friend list, but those both came out on the firmware after launch, and very few games used it because, well, one, some weren't even made when the feature was... Uh, you know, some were made before the feature was even available. But two, um, 
It just if it's not there day one, if it's not baked in day one, it's an it's like an afterthought. It's not a core thing. So the fact that it's there now bodes well. I think it, it makes it seem like it'll be a common practice across all games. And there's actually a number of online services uh, outlined in the documents that Nintendo's provide for developers, which maybe this is why it's costing money. Because some of these things, like Nintendo's done this in their own games, but to have it be like a baseline thing across all games for Switch is kind of cool. Should developers choose to do it. For example, full matchmaking component will be made available to developers developed by Nintendo that let them set up friend matches, random matches, matches based on certain play criteria like skill, the idea of communities, which Nintendo's done in a few games, you know, where you can be with like-minded gamers and kind of have like a go-to lobby of the same people but they're not on your friends list that can be in any switch game that's gonna be like a standard thing across switch which is kind of nice um they're also doing something kind of interesting where they're giving the ability to let developers tap into the same basic ranking algorithm and ranking system regardless of their game so you have you will have some consistency of okay in Mario Kart, I know that if I'm, I can play people around my skill level very well, but in – I was going to pick a game out of a hat. In FIFA 18, it doesn't do that as well because well, they have a crappier algorithm. Well, now well, – Smash like, Bros. Did, or Smash Bros. it doesn't do it because they don't even rank. But now Nintendo's saying, hey, we have a dev tool for all our developers where you all get the same ranking algorithm. It will work the same. Gamers will know what to expect when it's like pick a rank battle. That's pretty nice. And um, the, perhaps the coolest is the ability for some game data to be saved server-side opposed to on the player's machine. Now, I don't... It's a little vague what this means. It could mean some of your save data could be over there, so it makes things a little faster when you're connecting with other people, or it could mean you can upload to a server, a la, say, Animal Crossing's Happy Home Showcase or whatever. It could be something like that. But the fact that they're now giving this as a tool to other developers seems huge for indies, because I'm pretty sure most indie devs are not going to be able to go, like, yeah, I would love to be able to have people show off their custom character designs, but I'm not paying however much for a server for us to live on because I'm just one guy in my basement making a game. And then Nintendo's coming in and say, well, hey, what if we help? So it's kind of cool that like this sort of cloud-based gaming that even Xbox One brags about, like, oh, we do processing on the cloud side. There's some element of that with Switch. Definitely not to the same extent as Microsoft, but it opens the door to that because if you're saving, saving some data on the server, in theory that data can be accessed from the game, and that data can be some compressed processing thing that's sent back and enhances the gameplay in some way, not just, say, a static file for a happy house, happy home or whatever. So all that's kind of cool. And if you take all that together... Oh, and I forgot one. Uh, they also got something called Subscriber, where every developer will be able to tap into that news menu that the Switch has and not only share information about games, it's like uh, almost like a notification like on iOS, but they will be interactive. They can put polls, they can get feedback... So it's kind of sort of a Miiverse substitute, mm. but I don't think they can actually get comments. That's the one where it's a little like, so you can do polls about what people want to see next, but you can't really have them talk to you. But still, it sort of makes well, up for a little Miiverse. more than what we did on the, on the Wii U. Yeah. yeah. Well, well like, more on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a streamlined version of getting feedback. Yeah. But I think that's kind of cool. So if you take all that together and imagine if – let's just imagine Nintendo told us everything I just said about how online works, you know, you have system-level friend lists, you have, or system-side friend lists that you can actually view on the system, you have all these features developers have. If Nintendo put that on the Switch website, alongside all the other features they've announced, like the smartphone app and the lobbies and the voice chat, and then let's get real crazy, and let's imagine they also put all for under $30, which Kimishima has said will be the price, under 30 would it have, let me start that sentence, it would not have received nearly any of the blowback it got currently. 
Like, Nintendo set themselves up for failure by not telling us all these things. Granted, some people would still be like, wait, but how does it work with, like, can I not message on the system? Which I know is, like, your, one of your concerns, or was. But it would at least help m- mitigate some of that feedback. Like, it seems like all feedback's unwarranted now that we know a bit more about the thing. And they Nintendo brought on themselves by not telling us anything. I, you know what I mean? I mean what, what is the reason why they don't tell us some of these things? It just seems like common sense. Like, I I just can't wrap my head around it. I don't and, know. And as we'll touch upon later with the one to switch stuff, like, not telling us some of those things. Like, why would you not tell yeah, us that it's, earlier? Yeah, it's dumb because if you leave people in the dark... Their disappointment will lead them to figure out, or they'll be disappointed in the worst case scenario because that's what you assume is the case if they don't tell you something. If I'm not told, if I go to McDonald's and they don't tell me, hey, did you know, like, did you know you can get a free ice cream cone if you get a Big Mac? And I get a Big Mac without my ice cream cone, I'm gonna be like, oh, I guess I just get a Big Mac. But if I get an ice cream cone, I'm like, oh, cool, I also got an ice cream cone. <laughs> like, you're, it, it, that's a bad example because that sounds like an extra, but you know what I'm trying to say. Maybe I should flip it. That was a horrible analogy now I think about it. I'm a little confused. Yeah, that analogy didn't make sense. Let me try that again. If you, life. Yeah, I, I don't know. But my point is, yeah, that's a bad analogy. It's more like if you go to McDonald's and you get a combo meal. Okay. Right? But you don't know what's in the combo meal. Here we go. You get a combo <laughs> meal and you're like, oh, a combo. That's okay. That's usually just fries, a drink, and a burger. All right. Uh-huh. But then McDonald's is like, yeah, but we're charging $15 for it. And you're like, wait, why? For that? That's stupid. You guys are stupid. And they're like, oh. And then two weeks later, they're like, oh, yeah, it's because we also, you didn't know us, but we're also going to be giving you an ice cream cone and a cookie and an apple pie. And you're like, oh, well, okay, that makes it more reasonable. It's kind of like that. Is that a better analogy? That, that this sense. McDonald's analogy that, is the that worst. That makes sense. Basically, they're saying. <laughs> I think I'm just hungry. I think that's what's going on. <laughs> okay, they're just saying they're announcing a brand new combo. They're not telling you what's in the combo. They're just telling you how much it costs. Yeah. And you're just wondering, like, okay, what could it possibly be? Why don't you tell us? And moments it's before, like that. Moments before it launches, they finally tell you and it actually is worth it. Yeah, but then you had two months of just guessing. Yeah. And why it took that long? Now, I don't know if there are forums dedicated to people <laughs> guessing McDonald's combos like there are video games and online services, but what a horrible analogy. I think we lost probably like. 50 <laughs> listeners in the course of that analogy. I'm sorry, everyone. But no, but the point is... Speaking of combo, so, so in, was it in Israel that they made that Burger King thing? It, or yeah, the, the Burger King Valentine's oh, deal. So yeah. random. It was super random. As is bringing it up right now. <laughs> yeah, Burger King had the adult meal with a Valentine's Day toy, let's say, and two burgers and two, I think two beers. Is this like a hair massager or something to go to sleep with? Sure. That's exactly what it was. That is what it was. It's a scalp massager. Don't think that's what it was. That's definitely what it was. Have you ever not seen a scalp massager? I don't think that's what it was. <laughs> Are you trying to rescue our McDonald's analogy by going into weird like sex toy analogies? I don't know. I'm, I'm telling you, that's not what it was. <laughs> All right, we'll have a discussion about this later. <laughs> but um, how we get back to the switch from that? I don't think we do. Uh, all right, that's the episode. We'll see you in two. No, um, but no, it's just I don't get why Nintendo purposely sets up themselves up for negative feedback because even once they correct it or even once i'm sitting here on the podcast and reciting features most people are still having a negative association with the thing that isn't actually negative it's bizarre and i mean to be clear what we now know that is included online is still not perfect i message message i message i mentioned messaging is missing that's a tongue twister i mentioned there's no messaging that's a little weird still nothing that we know on the console will allow for messaging it's still only through um the app supposedly which i mean even wii u had a rudimentary messaging system mm-hmm. so that's a little odd and there's no true internet browser at least not at launch um and while the f- defining features of nintendo's past two generations on handheld and console the Miis, 
appear to be pretty de-emphasized with Switch. Um, you can still make your own, you can still import them, but it's totally optional. And while you can add new physical customizations like eyebrows and things like that, they are taking away things like birthday and creator name and whether the me is a favorite of yours or not. It's all just kind of like, it's just your icon now. There you go. You can make it look like you, but that's it. There's no sharing. There's no social element. And to me, that's kind of a bummer because every Nintendo system since the Wii had some sort of like me plaza situation that was social in some way. I mean, even the Wii had the Mii Maker, which people did together. Like, look, it looks like you, haha. And then there's like uh, Street Pass Plaza on 3DS and War War Plaza on Wii U. Well, I mean, and just fit... Miiverse in general. And now all that's just like gone. Well, I mean, they still said you had more options for making like your actual But what do you do detail? with that besides have it be your icon in I mean, games? I mean, Developers the... won't even lean on this to put in their third-party games as much because it's not required. You have no like – it's not like in the Wii where it's like here's your Mii Maker where you put hundreds of fake celebrity Mii's and then they appear in Wii Sports. It's literally just buried in the system settings. Well, I mean, they said you can still do that, though. You can still make a bunch of me. Then. But who? But it's in the system settings. Who's going to go do that? It's so de-emphasized. Whoever wants to. I mean, I never really wanted to. It just kind of happened at some point. I guess what I mean, so I guess what I mean want to make is if Nintendo's not requiring Miis for even your user profile, you can have generic icons now. If they're not requiring Miis, no third-party developers could be like, let me invest the time to integrate with the Mii API that only 10% of Switch users are probably using because it's not a requirement anymore. Or maybe, let's well, see, 40%. I mean, it's just weird. It's the end of a whole. It's like a Nintendo randomly was like. Let it be. If someone wants to use it, that'd be cool. If they don't, then. I guess. Just let it. I don't know. I guess it reminds me of Kinect. At one point, Kinect was bundled with Xbox. Even then, how many games supported Kinect? Not very many. I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing there's no Miis. It's just weird because they've been such a part. They've been a core Nintendo thing for so long now. It's like all they have is Miitomo, the poor Miis. There's nothing else you can do with them that's social. I mean, I guess some developers can hook in, but it just it's not... Unless you make it a mandatory thing, developers won't lean on it for anything. Except, like, one or two indie games. That's all. In my opinion, at least. But maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Maybe we don't need Miis anymore. Maybe they're past their prime. It just seems weird I that mean, they're I such a they've key... they've been past their prime for... I feel like the only reason people even still remember them was because we were forced to use them for our icon. They were there on the Mii Plaza. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I'm taking the wrong angle with this. It's I possible. mean, there was, I mean, a few Mii games, like, the Wii Sports, I guess Nintendo Land used Miis, but I feel like, I mean, they still can. That's the thing, they still can. Yeah, but where they, people I mean, won't have any for them to pull from. So. Well, they could easily make some. You make it sound like they can't make any. No, 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 but what I mean is like, as a developer, if I tell someone, your main character is your me, if people go back, I have to go make a me now? What? Well, before it was part of the setup process and is already there, living and breathing as you. I don't know. I kind of like Miis. I like the concept of having a Nintendo-fied version of yourself available to all developers at all times. I thought it was one of the cooler things that existed on Wii and Wii U and 3DS. But Actually, now that I think about it... Because um, they can't just have you even, be an icon even, of a Pikmin walking around. They still do that. Even when it was part of the Wii U, I distinctly remember a few times when we wanted to play Nintendo Land with a few people, and they were like, oh, we don't have enough Miis. And then they're like, oh, I'll just use the generic one, because they always have generic ones that you could just play at. That's like, true. They're like, no, we have to go back to the main menu. We have to go to Mii Maker. All right, let me take the picture of you. Yeah, that's true. All right, all right, next person. Okay, now we can finally play Meet Nintendo Land. Like, yeah. it was still cumbersome, even if it was in the main menu. Like, that's if, true. If anything, if they're streamlining it by just giving you, all right, just make your Mii, and that's it. Then... Or don't, and we'll just come up with alternative characters. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean they still so have bad. generic ones. I guess I just like the Miis a lot, so that was kind of a like, bummer to see it gone. But but it's not gone. It's just de-emphasized. It's just de-emphasized. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's Trust me, we're not going to see very many Miis. That's fine. Yeah, because you don't mind, I know, because you don't care. Anyway, generally speaking, Miis aside, I think 
besides the Mies, besides the lack of internet browser, besides the messaging, I think Nintendo's making some good moves with what they're doing with Switch and online functionality and just kind of the software itself. The UI actually looks, again, Mies aside, the UI actually looks really nice. Like, if you haven't already seen it, anyone listening, there is a random NeoGAF member who received his Wii U two weeks early from the store. They somehow just shipped it to him. Uh, I just read right before we were recording, Nintendo actually took it away from him. They, I guess they sent a cease and desist or something like that, but basically they went and took it back. He no longer has it, and he's pulled, he's pulling down the videos. But we do link to um, a website, I think it's Venture Beat maybe, that should still have the video up, last I checked. So if you want to see the video, it's about three and a half minutes of the interface, go there, check it out. It looks very nice, it looks very clean, it looks very snappy, it's very Android-esque to me. Uh, it's also very not Nintendo. There's no, like, me's running around. There's no background music. There's no um, overly glossy and drop-shadowed and glass-affected and weird, like, gradiented all-at-the-same-time icons like there were on Wii U. It's very clean and to the point. It's kind of Windows-y, like, flat UI. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. Like, is that... For me, I think that's great. Uh, here comes my contradiction. I love Mies, but I also love clean interfaces, and those do not match. But, um, yeah, for me, I think it's great, but, like, I also, my favorite interface was always the Wii interface. I liked it way more than 3DS and Wii U, so this seems like a step in that direction. What was your, do you, I mean, what's your take on it? You've seen it. Do you like mm-hmm. the cleaner stuff, or do you prefer when it was more Nintendo-fied with, like, weird personality to it and everything, like, bleeped and blooped, and there's a parrot that gave you instructions every time you opened an app and everything? Okay, that didn't really happen, either. It did. When the yeah. parrot opened... When the parrot, when you use the native apps on the 3DS, like you know, 3DS Sound or the Image view, find, uh, Viewer or that thing, the first time you open it, he'd pop up and be like, welcome to this app, here's how you use it, da, 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 da. and he'd like walk you through it, and then every time you open the app in the future, he's always in the corner ready to offer you advice. All that's gone in favor of oh, normal no. UI paradigms, where it's just like a help button if you need it, and oh. he doesn't chirp and squawk at you. No, I don't really care either way. I mean, it just seems to get the job done. No real opinion. Have you ever had, like, a Nintendo interface that, like, actually... Because, like, with me, I don't know, I like interfaces. So, I like, when the Wii U came out, I was like, oh, War War Applause was really cool. I like this idea of the Nintendo-fied what's trending. Like, literally, it's a trending topics or trending games, but just super Nintendoed out. But then the rest of the UI was just really... Oh. Like, that's what I was alluding to with the drop shadow and the gloss and all that. Like, why the icons have seven water layers water to it? always seemed kind of pointless to me. It it's a little too. pointless, but it was never the main focus. It was on one screen while you were on the other. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It's like when you're on Twitter and there's a little left-hand trend yeah, topics. Yeah, but it ended up just being annoying in the sense that sometimes when I just wanted to play on the gamepad, sometimes since I was playing on the TV, the I had them inverted, so... Oh, that's so, true. So I, w- I would always have to... It was just an, an extra step. Oh, I have to press X to switch. So that to seems them. to me like you actually prefer the cleaner UIs overall because that sort of thing wouldn't well, happen also, if it wasn't there. <laughs> I mean, we're also just focused on one screen now. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the 3DS, I mean, you have like the rotating icon, which, I mean, what else is the top screen going to do? Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know. I guess I like the 3DS one. It just, the 3DS one just felt like an evolution of the Wii one because the Wii one was just screens and there wasn't, there wasn't any real folders except the SD card slot, if you right. consider that a folder. Right. And then the 3Ds just gave you a way to organize it a little better, in addition to just putting them in whatever order you wanted. And then the Wii U just felt like a step back, but made everything glossier. And that's pretty yeah, cool. you could tell with the Wii U one, they're like, hey, hey guys, we have HD now. Let's show off these icons <laughs> the best we can. Like, what if we put a shadow and then made it shiny at the same time? HD lets us do it. Let's do it. Like, it, it was kind of like, it was kind of weird. Um, I, I actually really like I'm, the Wii one in particular I really like because it was such a perfect extension of the metaphor of the Wii remote everything was a channel they looked like TVs when you didn't have a channel it was static but kind of like a subdued looking static it really 
it really felt like like the Wii felt like Switch and Wii both together or feel like these very well thought out products where everything from software to hardware to features was all very tightly integrated and it was like this makes sense like we are doing this with this product here's what it represents here's how we display that representation the Wii was like supposed to be as easy as a TV so here's a remote you use like with your TV and then everything much like a TV has channels or has these ideas of like you just swap between what you want to do even the fact that you can tune them so to speak you couldn't do this on Wii you couldn't do this on 3DS but when you were in one of the splash screens for one of the channels you hit left, right, it goes to the next one. Now, granted, on Wii U and 3DS, oh, yeah. you didn't need to do that because you had the two screens at all times so you could see the other channels. But the idea that you could channel surf, so to speak, was actually kind of cool. And really, cool. It yeah. really felt like the Wii really was this comprehensive package of here's how we're presenting games as simple as TV. Switch is kind of the same thing where it's like, just a, it's essentially a tablet with controllers. They can plug into your TV and not. So they went with the tablet UI. They went with, okay, this is what people are used to with iPad. This is what people are used to with Android. Here we go. The Wii U and the 3DS are like a hodgepodge of things stoned together, and you could, it really felt like that even in the UI. Like, for example, what is the visual metaphor supposed to be of those pegs for each game that you have on your 3DS menu? Why are they pegged on? What do the pegs represent? What are you pegging to or from? It doesn't, I don't, why are they there? It's nice. It makes Badge Arcade work four years after, but after the thing came out. But what, what was the, I don't even know what that's supposed to be. Like, the TV makes sense. I guess they were all supposed to be badges, but. I guess? Maybe, only... but okay, so if they're know, patches, yeah, yeah, why but... are there buttons on the top that just free float in your no, shelf? No, yeah, that's it, it doesn't make no sense, because only, and 3DS games didn't have those pegs, only the, only non-3DS games, like the, or all the No, games... they all have the pegs, but the 3DS ones hide them better. The oh. 3DS ones look like pins, and the DS ones look like Oh, pins. I guess what I'm thinking of is when you tap on a, like a DSi Word game or a Game Boy Advance yeah. game. Like, the top just has a rotating brick with the peg on the back. Yeah, well, well technically, I think the 3S games... Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. They okay. Right, that peg is the icon from the bottom screen on the top screen. Yeah, I guess I'm just... Yeah. I was just thinking oh, there's the another screen. one. Okay, so you have dioramas on the top screen and pegs on the bottom screen. In what world are you in where there's peg... You plug something in and dire... I guess it's like a hologram? Is it supposed to be a hologram? Yeah, 3D. I guess it is a hologram. Um, okay, maybe we figured that one out. Those are hologram cartridges. For 3D? But, but it yeah. took us... A minute to figure that out. Well, like, <laughs> because we decided to think about it. Right, that's the thing, though. Like, I mean, there's usually, I never well, no, questioned it. It just makes sense. It was but like, all right, I picked this game. Oh, I get this cool little 3D diorama. Yeah, the right. 3D diorama makes sense. The pegs, I don't know. But even then, like, when you when someone designs a graphical interface, there's usually some rhyme or reason. Like, the thing with iOS is it's all layers of glass. Or, like, the idea is, like, layers on layers, and they stack each other, and some are see-through because they're, like, glass-ish sort of effects. I... We use. I have no idea what that's about. It's like, hey, it's these little boxes of chocolate that somehow shiny, but they have drop shadows. But you put them down. Where are they sitting on? Like it doesn't. Yeah. Long story short, I really like what they're doing with Switch. Is the point. So it's nice seeing Nintendo clean it up a bit. Uh, but besides just the look of the menu, besides just that, um, the Switch leaked video also revealed that Netflix and the like are probably coming. We figured that'd be the case, but they were not. They're not there day one. And uh, now we know that if you go into the settings menu, there's an option to leave auto sleep off when watching, quote, media content. Now, that could mean video replays from someone that uses the capture button down the road once it supports video. That could mean eShop trailers. But I don't think either of those would last long enough to trigger auto sleep. The capture button, there's no way you can capture an hour of footage. There's no way an eShop trailer is an hour unless you're watching a Nintendo Direct through the eShop, which even then is usually half an hour. So. That seems to imply there's Netflix coming. 
And that's kind of the thing with the Switch right now as a whole, what these leaks are showing me at least, is as is the case with a lot of tech, not just Nintendo, what we're getting on day one is not the final product. What we're getting, what we're getting on day one is the first step towards a final product. Like proper online won't be there till the fall. Media streaming won't be till later. Uh, the browser might be at some later point. Who knows? But if you look at like 3DS, it took four years, five years for us to get Badger Arcade and themes and really have the current UI we have now, which is quite complex compared to launch day where they didn't even have an eShop ready. So it seems like we're going to be slowly getting new stuff on the Switch in, uh, Switch menu, which isn't necessarily surprising, but it's starting to look really like uh, actual reality. And the thing is, Nintendo's already teasing stuff, which is kind of nice. Like in a French uh, newspaper interview, Yoshiaki Koizumi, who uh, is one, the producer of the Switch and one of the big game developers, he confirmed things like, for example, the headphone jack supports headsets, meaning you must be able to voice chat on the Switch in some way at some point. So there's that tease. I remember, we, yeah, but that was already confirmed in the European website, the Nintendo. Remember? About, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's right. But yeah, and, well, he specifically also mentioned Bluetooth. Oh. So if you put a Bluetooth receiver on one end, you can use Bluetooth mm-hmm. on the other, which isn't, I mean, that makes sense. It's not even, but it seems to me a kind of sly way of re reconfirming that it uh, will have voice chat on the system. But here's a better one then. GameCube Virtual Console. Not officially announced. Definitely happening. Here's what I'd say about that. This is a direct quote. We cannot give a concrete answer because we have nothing announced at the moment, but there's something I can tell you. We are working on things along those lines. Okay, so I guess we're getting GameCube Virtual Console. There you go. Along those lines, HD versions of all your favorite games. Either And by favorite yeah. games, you mean the ones we'll randomly pick except F-Zero. Of course not F-Zero. <laughs> You'd be like, hey, who's ready for Donkey Konga HD? <laughs> <laughs> but, That's true. Use the HD rumble. It's gonna yeah, be yeah, it'd yeah. actually be really cool if you drum with the it's controller. Not, not yeah, I was, only, I, now, I was joking, but now I'm serious. <laughs> like, I would buy that. But no, um... Barrel Blast Definitive Edition because now it actually works. Yeah, that's true. Jungle Beat's third re-release. Uh, <laughs> the Donkey Kong Year of the Year of the Kong. Year of the Kong. They could do that for his thirty fifth anniversary. I don't know when that is, but I, well, hey, there's new Donk City in Tomorrow Odyssey. Maybe that's kicking off Year of the Kong, which mm-hmm. so many people are confused with King Kong, but that's okay. Uh, it'd be happy Year of DK, but yeah, that sounds year like Year of Decay, which sounds like an apocalypse or something. It's the Year of Decay, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there really is Year of the Donkey. <laughs> year of Donk. Year of the Donk. That's yeah, what that'd be for New Donk City. Yeah, Which, by the way, New Donk City is such a dumb name, but it's so great for the same reason. Like, it doesn't even, I get it, Donkey Kong, but it doesn't sound anything like New York. I know it has a K, but it doesn't rhyme or anything. It's like... Yeah, it's so great. It's so Englishy. Anyway, the point about? I was getting at was all this about the virtual console and whatnot is everything we've seen right now is just day one stuff. Pre-day one stuff, because there's the day one update when you buy the system and it's already shaping up quite nicely and i think better than we expect in a lot of ways or things like friendless so yay that's good but the problem is we had to piece this together ourselves i just had to talk us through all of it on and off with other topics for the past like 20 minutes why couldn't nintendo put this on a website and everyone could have read it for themselves in five like it just seems again back to communication thing it seems weird that we don't know these things, and I think a lot of negativity around the Switch wouldn't be there if Nintendo told us some of these things. It's bizarre. It's it very bizarre. bizarre. It's very bizarre. And, and that said, though, we I do want to give Nintendo credit where it's due. One of the very savvy things they're doing for early adopters in terms of rolling out things for Switch is uh, coming right off the bat, and it is a Splatoon 2 global test fire, which is happening only three weeks after launch on March 24th, which... 
uh, is really cool for obvious reason of we got to play Splatoon 2 early, but also because it addresses the criticism that there's not much to do. Doesn't seem that early. Huh? Doesn't seem that early. It's not coming out until summer. The test fire for Splatoon 1 was like three weeks before launch. Oh. This is months. No, no, I I totally blank right there. For some reason, when you said we're playing Splatoon 2 early. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) No, we're playing Splatoon 2, comma, early. Yeah. Yeah, no, not too early. But, yeah, so it's going to be what they're doing is on the weekend of March 24th, they will have six separate demo sessions of Splatoon 2. You download a free demo. It's the same version on the as on the uh, Switch Preview Tour, which means you get to use weapons like the Duelies and all that. Uh, and there will be four hours in each session, all sorts of times, day and night, over those three days of the 24th to 26th. Make it worldwide like they did the first one, and they'll make it worldwide, I mean. And to me, it's – well, one, it's super cool because – more Splatoon, yay, and it's free. But it's also really savvy, I feel like. I mean, first off, it directly addresses the feedback from fans about the Switch launch. I mean, we, we I think last episode we both kind of came to the agreement that maybe the fact that people say Switches lie on content launch is not as true as it once was. There seems to be more coming out in March and April than we thought. I mean, even just last week, Snake Pass got confirmed for end of March, which is a lot sooner than I think we thought. Yeah. But, um... Beyond that, like, there's still this reputation of the Switch not having anything at launch. And granted, it is – for us, we like the indie stuff. We like the that sort of stuff. So we're good. But for people that are looking for, like, real big, meaty games, there's nothing but Zelda. Well, I mean, I'm also not looking to spend, like, $100 on games. That's too. But my point is for some people who want more, they would be like, oh, the Switch has nothing. So then Nintendo kind of quietly trots out Splatoon and goes, like, do you want this for a weekend? We'll give you this for a weekend. So now we got – as far as, like, the calendar of events for Nintendo fans, you got – Zelda, Splatoon, Mario Kart, all in like a six to eight week span, which sounds a lot more impressive than than if you just had nothing in the middle. <laughs> so even if it is for only a weekend, it's still, you know, that weekend you get something. And then Mario Kart is just a end of April. And, well, yeah, but you're not supposed to think about that for this point. No, it's still a <laughs> point. But from the, well, Nintendo keeps, mar- you know what's weird? And the reason I was saying that is Nintendo keeps marketing it as like, we're going to have a Mario Kart right after launch. It's like, I mean, yes, you are. That That is factually correct. But not really. Yeah, <laughs> it is still a Mario Kart. It's sad, but I feel like after maybe the first play session with it, we'll be over it. That just feels right. Maybe I could see myself playing Battle Mode more. I like Battle. I know you're not a big Battle Mode guy, but I really like Battle Mode. Although, granted, the well, fact that you're I mean, with the right people, but I mean, even I, online, I'll play. I, I I doubt I would play Battle Mode online. I think Battle Mode for me will be exclusively a. Uh, Local. A gang thing. That makes sense. Yeah. Right, just to be clear, by gang he means our group of friends, not like he doesn't go down the stream and be like, "Hey, Crips, let's play, let's play some Mario Kart or something." I'm sure that's exactly. I'm what sure it's people exactly thought. what people thought. Yeah, yeah. We do live in LA. Who knows what people think in like Nebraska about us? I know. Hardcore Nintendo fans, part of gangs. Oh yeah. Hey, hey. hey. You know what's funny about gangs? You know, while we're on topic, I always find it amusing that they like act so tough and everything, and then they're like, they're like a act super like lovingly towards a cute puppy they may have or something like that just doesn't clap like Wait, um what are you referencing nothing in particular but so many gang members have like a dog that they've raised for however long and they're like oh i love like my dog's like he he's the best to me but they get when they're puppies and they're like so unconditionally loving their puppy and then they turn around and act all macho towards the rest of the gang it's just like how do you that's very weird that those don't clash in anyone's head i don't understand that but that's all it's just a thing <laughs> since i was a child i never got it so 
If you're a gang member and want to explain it to me, feel free to leave a comment on this blog post. <laughs> so they were a child. They were supposed to be a gang member that each carried on their own puppy in their hats. And we're no, but, but they're always like, oh, my, like, they're very, I, I don't know. Maybe I should stop. This is, Splatoon? Should we go back to Splatoon? <laughs> Uh, we're really putting the random in random. This is us I going to I was going to ask to that that um, speaking of dogs, um, Donatello, my, my your dog, dog, yeah, he is. Um, as you saw when we were playing with the remote control Bowser that you gave me for Christmas, he has a remote control RC Mario Kart Bowser. It's yeah, he awesome. he does not like the remote control Bowser at all. In fact, I think it traumatized him. And yesterday, I literally just put it where Jason is sitting now, which is because of Jason, where Jason's sitting, he's pretty much blocking off any entryway to my desk. So I would just put Bowser right there, and the dog, the moment it would see him, would just put its tail between his legs and just walk away very sad. So you have a guard day. Bowser to protect you from dogs, or is it a guard dog to protect you from Bowsers? <laughs> Basically, yeah. It's, huh. it's, it's interesting how now I could put Bowser anywhere that I don't want the dog to cross. That's actually kind of funny. Yeah, but then you see how he reacts to it, and you're just like, oh man, I, I feel like a horrible person. I mean, you, you are for doing that, but... Yeah. <laughs> But. but Splatoon, how about that Splatoon? The, I, we got on a tangent, but the point I was trying to make is I think it's really clever that Splatoon, they're doing this so close to launch because it gives people something to do if they're fans. Meanwhile, generates additional uh, buzz and word of mouth about both the game and the Switch because every gamer's feed is going to be full of Splatoon test fire stuff that weekend. I mean, it happened with the first test fire. It was all over. If you're on Twitter, if you're on Facebook, if you're on something like NeoGAF, if you're a gamer, that's what people were talking about on your feed. And there's also the ad bonus that in Japan, Splatoon is huge. Like, a phenomenon over there. So there are probably a lot of people that are planning to get a Switch with Splatoon 2, but now they can't pass up trying Splatoon 2 six, you know, four, three, five months early. So they're going to buy a Switch early so they can play Splatoon. And what do they do when they already have the Switch? Well, they're sitting with it for a while. They might as well buy other games for it. So now they might buy games that they wouldn't have gotten if they waited to get a Switch till Splatoon 2. Now that they have a Switch, they're going to need new games. You know, maybe they'll buy the Mario Kart remake or something. Because what else are they going to do? They're just sitting with the Switch for four months and not using it because they played three days of Splatoon? Yeah, no. It's a marketing move. So I feel like if I bought a Switch for one game, then the game was taken away from me after three days. I'd be like, well, I'm not going to just have this be a paperweight. I'll find something. I mean, oh, this Snake Pass looks cool. Oh, Snipper Clips looks fun. I'd find something to do with it. So Nintendo just generates some extra sales. So it's kind of smart in a lot of different ways. I'd actually go one step further. I'm going to go one step further and say that everything Nintendo's doing with Splatoon 2 is kind of smart in a lot of ways, not just the test fire. They're also adding two features to the final game that play into the eSports side of it, which I think are really savvy. One is a private battle spectator mode, which lets two players essentially become camera operators in-game. It's like a full-on camera crew, basically, for Splatoon 2. So they each get to control different camera angles. And so you can literally cut between them and stuff like that, and it's it's neat. So how does that work again? Because as far as I know, you can only connect eight Switch devices to each other. You can so, connect ten. So but, you, so, but you can connect ten, so, basically. So here's how you do it. This is where mode number two comes in. Um, not coincidentally, there's also a LAN mode, and LAN mode in Splatoon so 2 the... supports up to ten devices wired together through the docks. Ah. So basically what Nintendo's doing is giving every eSport tournament a very easy way to very smoothly show off Splatoon 2 with no lag. So not only do they make Splatoon 2 a bigger eSport tile, they also make the Switch a more go-to for eSports in general. Because look, it already supports this, that, and next thing. It's 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 very clever. Oh, crazy. They could have like an aerial view the entire time, yep. and then the other one could Yep, it's between. extremely clever. Like, I gotta get Nintendo props for that. That's really, really clever. And the thing is, Nintendo sort of projected they wanted Splatoon 2 to be a big eSport tile. Like, back in the first trailer in October for the Switch, you know, they showed it in a competitive setting. Whoa. And you just knock something down. And now, here we are with Nintendo actually implementing modes and features that specifically enable that very 
exact thing. <laughs> thing. Yes. Um, so maybe there's hope for other stuff. Maybe Smash will get the tournament mode you already you uh, always have been talking about, like the proper tournament mode, because Nintendo's very clearly making an effort to do esports right with Switch. Yep. But yeah, it's um, it's That's not true. Like I mean, in theory, um, I mean, I, this sounds like it could be too convoluted, but if they really wanted to, they could use this LAN setup to hook up ten Wii's together. Because depending on the venue, you mean Switches? Switches, yeah. Um, they could, they do have the space to put like 10 consoles next to each other. So they could just as easily have a menu option where you can actually register the characters just from one of the switches or a few of the switches. Just like register all the players and then I'll create the brackets and then I'll just tell you like, all right, um, switch number one, these two players come up on switch number mm-hmm. two, these two players come up. And then it it's, just, I guarantee that's what they're thinking. I mean, if not for this game, I, some game down the road should be able to do that easily. And here's the thing. Nintendo's being very clear. This is what they're trying to do. Which I mean, tournament mode already did on the, on the Wii on Smash Brothers. Yeah, Super Smash Brothers and Brawl. I mean, just and now the esports scene around that is so much larger. That makes sense. Like when you have Nintendo's global, they managed to mess it up on Wii U. U, I know, which is weird because they did everything else right with Wii U's uh, esports with Smash Bros. esports. They had the tournament we went to, the Invitational. They had they're sponsoring Evo on the the outside. Yeah, yeah, like on the marketing. It was definitely clear that this game didn't want to be an esports game. But now it seems like Nintendo's fully all in. Well, uh, you know it's. Ooh, um, I mean, they could either just call that like tournament edition or whatever. Yeah, I, championship edition yeah. is not what we nicknamed it. Oh, yeah, uh, but th- there's a very clear effort. Like, if Nintendo's global president, if Tatsumi Kimishima himself is talking about the importance of esports in interviews with Time Magazine, which he was and did, um, yeah, they're serious about it. He specifically called out both Splatoon 2 and Arms in Time as games that were sued Ooh, like for this. Arms to see this yeah. tournament mode. Arms was a nominee for Evo. It got voted out in favor of... Like, people got picked. It was Arms, Pokémon Tournament, and a few others. I think Pokémon got it. But Arms was in the running. Like, Nintendo... It's not even out yet, and Nintendo was able to convince Evo, you know what, you should position this yeah, as a tournament a game, because that's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually really cool that the votes all went to charity, but uh, or the vote money went to charity. But, yeah, he specifically said... After signing Splatoon 2 and ARMS, quote, We are considering what Nintendo-like esports can be in terms of the business model and the results of the outcome of the battle. So it sounds like not only is Nintendo making games that play nice with esports, but they may host their own tournaments down the line. Like, not just one-offs, like the Smash Invitational or the Nintendo like Championship, Pro Tour status, but something like that. whatever they do yeah, every once in a while. Exactly. Uh, the, yeah, the, the regionals and... Yeah, the World Championships yeah. and all that. But yeah, if they're... I mean, if they are building into their games full-on support for esports, and then you have their leader saying, hey, we're looking into what sort of monetization this would be and who gets what and how we make money, that lines up, one, that lines up really nicely with uh, those rumors we heard last fall about how Nintendo's been reaching out to esports teams to see if there's, you know, how it all works and everything. Remember that from, like, October? And two, that could be such a huge thing for them. <laughs> like, that could bring in so much money for them i mean so much so much like it's it could be huge i think we're gonna see switch be a the esports system and it also it promotes the switch itself so incredibly well because the whole system's premise is play anywhere so it's like hey you're really good at pokin pokin 2 is on switch now you can play pokin going to the tournament at the tournament leaving the tournament you could train in the locker room you can they don't have locker rooms but you know what i mean like it really the whole thing just it lines up with Switch's main Pokemon really needs to have this mode if it comes purpose. over to the Switch. Yeah, it would. It would. And and one of the things about Switch that they've been saying in interviews is the idea of Switch is to go back to this concept of 
local multiplayer being key, and you don't need necessarily to have everyone have their own Switch or whatever because you have multiple controllers. This is just a natural extension of that. Granted, you do need everyone to have their own Switch if you're landing together. Is that a term? Landing? Landing together, 10 of them. But the idea is, like, this is the device... <laughs> everyone <idea>. will. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the idea is everyone will. Now, to say the idea is this is the device that everyone gathers around. This is Nintendo's really doubling down on the local multiplayer thing that is their thing. And now this is just a natural extension of it. So it, it's a matter of time, I think, before we really see Nintendo go full eSport. They'll probably have an eSport league. That's my prediction. I don't know when, but probably at some point. Or they're just going to... If they don't do their own league, they're going to sponsor... I mean, they already sponsor Genesis. They already sponsor Evo. Maybe they'll just do that on a broader scale. Who knows? But I don't think... Switching gears a bit, I don't think Splatoon 2 is alone in demonstrating what we can expect from the Switch era. I think Zelda Breath of the Wild is right there alongside it, but for wildly different reasons. And that is DLC. So, on Valentine's Day, of all days, Nintendo decided to announce that it will be making a $20 expansion pass for both the Switch and Wii U versions of Breath of the Wild... When you get the pass, starting March 3rd, you instantly receive three treasure chests scattered around the Great Plains, two have useful items, one has a Switch shirt for Link. Poor Wii U owners also get the Switch shirt, so they're being openly mocked for buying the wrong version of the game, but that's okay. And they're bundled uh, with the Deluxe and Master Edition, right? No, which what? is what's dumb about it. You would think if I was spending $130 on my Master Edition, they'd give me a $20 DLC pack, but uh, no. Don't worry, they'll, they'll announce that like, right before. I don't think so. It is right before. It was right before. Valentine's Day was less than No, I mean like right before it. The thing launches, the game launches. I doubt it, because the, they, I doubt it. It will. I hope. If you're right, that'd be great. But <laughs> but yeah, so you get that day one. Then in the summer, the first part of the DLC comes out, and then the holidays, well, or sorry, which include, I forgot to say what it includes, includes a hard mode, includes a cave of trials, and some new in-game map feature that they're being very vague about. And then during the holidays, so this winter, there'll be the second part of the DLC, which will have a new story, a new dungeon, and new challenges. We have no idea what any of those things are because Nintendo's really vague about it. Again, communication problems. Uh, but, yeah. Don't tell I, me what I'm buying. It's, it's weird, yeah. Because as you, as you can guess, the fact that no one knows what it is is leading to quite an assortment of reactions from people. No, map feature? Like, it just it sounds a, like something that, like... Is it a compass? Yeah. There's no compass in the dungeons. And this is the first Zelda where you don't get a compass per dungeon. Could it be a compass? Are you going to pay $20 for a compass? I don't know. I mean, real world compasses <laughs> don't automatically tell you where treasure is. That's true. That's true. So it is worth something. <laughs> they just point north. That's true. Yeah, that is kind of a weird thing about the compass and Zelda. It's never really a compass. It's more of a like metal detector. Yeah, yeah. But that's all right. But uh, as I say, as uh, I was gonna say that the reactions have been so weirdly mixed. Um, you know, this is the first mainline Zelda to ever include DLC, so I can see why it's mixed. For me personally, I'm kind of torn. I think my main concern, which we've sort of already talked about, is that we don't know what the pass, the expansion pack actually comes with. Like, look at Mario Kart 8 when they did that expansion pass. They announced all three segments of it up front, but they, did, you know, we didn't know which characters or which tracks, but they did tell us, you're going to have X number of new characters. You'll get X number of new tracks. We will roll it out like so. So you kind of knew your money's worth. But with Zelda, we have so little to work off, with, uh, off of. Like, how long is the, dun- is the new dungeon? How big is the story edition? Is the hard mode just a double damage thing like Twilight Princess? Like the HD remakes hard mode? Or is it like Master Quest with Majora and Ocarina where it's like a whole re-jiggering of the entire game? We don't know. Wait, so what and was Twilight Princess again? Because you were able to pick Heroic Mode. And yeah, then on Heroic top of Mode that, was double damage and half hearts. And then on top of that, scan your Ganondorf for me yeah. to do like Extreme Mode or I don't know. Yeah, so that was all based on hearts and damage. Mm. So double damage, half hearts. Oh, that's and stuff right. Like that. No hearts appearing in the norm, like yes. naturally. So we don't know—is it just that, or is it like a master quest? 
we don't we really don't know anything and that to me is a direct influence on whether i buy the past or not because if they're telling me there's a new story and it's 20 minutes long or there's a new story and it's six hours long that will influence people on whether they know either way it's not like you're better just waiting for yeah because i mean it's not like these are time exclusive like this is what you get so why not just wait yeah just wait till you know what it is and then pay your 20 bucks yeah again it's just like why is nintendo not communicating things nintendo we're eager to give you our money if you tell us why we need to give you our money. But if you don't tell us why to give you the money, we're not going to give you the money. Uh, also, in general, sense. I feel like they should have waited till the game was out for at least a few weeks. I agree. That way people could beat the game and be like, oh, cool, there's more. Instead of now having this lingering feeling like, oh, I mean, I'm sure they finished the game before they started making this. But there's always, uh, well, there's always those people that think like, oh, now it's incomplete. Like if you want to have the full experience. I completely agree. And I think it's actually a bigger issue than you're like you're saying it's kind of they like should not. I think they I really think they should not because Nintendo has said on records, Turi Water, when he was still alive That's and president, right. on record said that Nintendo should never hold back content for DLC. It should always go on the disc if it's ready. Now, simultaneously, there have been rumors that Zelda Breath of the Wild is gonna be delayed till June at one point, as you may recall. Those turned out to be false, came out in March. Maybe but those rumors exist. And then this and this DLC starts in summer, June, probably. Or maybe July. But my point is, like, they line up, so it almost seems like Nintendo made this weird business uh, decision where they're basically like, hey, we're going to release the game early and then just charge the DLC. So even if it's not ready yet, they're giving the impression that this was something that could have been there but wasn't. And granted, they can't control rumors. They're not the ones saying it was coming in June and wasn't. But I feel like they should at least be a little cognitive cognizant of the fact that it was rumored like people thought it was coming in june and then it came in march and then you announced in february that in june you're getting the thing you're not getting in march at least if they did what you said people have already you know announced it in april may people have already bought the game played the game seen how meaty the game is and been like yeah okay that makes sense or to be a little less upset by the this idea this feeling that perhaps they pushed off content for business reasons versus Satori Wa's argument that you should never do that. It should always be if you're building beyond what the game initially required. Yeah, or just in general, like day one DLC just sucks. Yeah, just this was day negative uh, yeah, twenty. Like, <laughs> exactly, like, it just didn't yeah. have a good reputation, especially like this goes with like pre-order DLC and all that other stuff. Like it, you're just better not doing it. I think I agree. Yeah, I will say some people are freaking out about being a mainline Zelda that's doing DLC. Like on a conceptual level, I actually don't have a problem with that. I know I know some people online are like, how could they do this for real Zelda? Like I know. Some purists are saying it's, a, it's not, you know, it's not fair because Zelda's supposed to be a self-contained story or whatever, and that, that is what it is. But Nintendo has done money grabs with this franchise for as long as I can. This is nothing new. They've done it for as long as I can remember. I mean, yeah, I remind you about Ocarina of Ages and Ocarina, or not or, or, <laughs> Ocarina, Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons, where, or, wow, yeah. Yeah. It, ages, yeah. yeah. Seasons, yeah. There we go. I can't talk. Uh, Oracle of Ages and Seasons, you they were supposedly self-contained games, but the only true store, the one true store, you need to buy both. That's $60 instead of $30 at that point. Or, bad example, Four Swords Adventures. How you play it properly, you need five pieces of hardware. Four Game Boy Advances, a GameCube, and four Link Cables. That wasn't cheap. Like, Nintendo's not... Or, or even Twilight Princess HD. You mentioned, the Cave of, you mentioned Gandorf Unlocked Extreme Mode. The Cave of Trials is behind the Wolf Link. All that required paying for physical things extra money so the idea that zelda's like pure from dlc nope it's had equivalents of give us your money to get the extra stuff or to get to find the full product for a very long sure, time even the tingle tuner and wind waker even, even <laughs> the tingle tuner and wind waker so yeah it's for people who are freaking out about that i don't know if that's fully justifiable like i understand why because the dlc is such a connotation around it but um it's nothing new for nintendo they've been doing it since the 90s 
late 90s 2000 technically but that's my two cents on that uh to back up a bit though when first mentioning this i did make a remark about how it's uh, a sign of what's to come in the switch era much like splatoon was for esports this is for dlc i think i should probably expand on that because i didn't really say what i meant um so dlc is not new to nintendo at all i mean we were just talking about nintendo's been doing it in different forms for a long time but what is new is the type of game that's getting it in the sense of like zelda's getting it it's not dlc of individual maps in the fire emblem it's or characters and stages in smash bros or multiplayer modes in pikmin this is like or stages in pikmin this is like a core single player major like one and done experience it's not segmented in any way and nintendo's now piling on top of that that is new for nintendo to do i don't think they've ever done that where it's expanding the core thing it's always like oh you have like a chapter in a game here's a new chapter you have a thing in the game here's another thing to stack on that thing but it's never like we're building on top of the core main chunk of the game and that is different for nintendo and i wonder if that's a sign of what's to come like if they pull this off if they're doing a major single player experience and then expanding it with dlc assuming it works are we gonna see games like mario odyssey get or you see games like xenoblade 2 get it a metro if there's like a metroid adventure on the switch at some point are you gonna be like unlocking new planets by paying which seems odd if it's like a metroid prime situation where you know is it just something like oh a new planet popped up on the map you want to go there like that almost works better than what how zelda's gonna do it probably but all of that is now suddenly on the table when it used to very strictly be like oh yeah you'll get new characters in arms or you'll get new tracks in mario kart so it's kind of a shift for nintendo and i suspect that is because their uh, downloadable content revenue has actually dropped in the last year so the fact of the matter is they generate a ton of money off dlc and if they don't keep pumping out dlc that number obviously goes down so during the last financial briefing kimishima specifically pointed out that there's a drop in download sales from 30 billion yen a year ago in 2015 to 23.7 billion yen this fiscal year seven billion dollars just or i mean yen just gone and what historically has been the top downloads for Nintendo as DLC are Mario Kart expansions and Smash Bros. expansions. Those top any individual game's download sales for obvious reasons. That's the only way you get them. So if both of those were released when it was at 30 uh, billion yen, and then it drops to 23 and there's no equivalent to them, you can very easily see where the money went, and that is the lack of DLC. So if they start pumping out DLC again with Zelda and whatnot, presumably that's extra revenue coming back at them which in turn keeps buzz for the game going, which in turn generates more sales as an evergreen title. So if you don't have DLC, it's the double negative of you lose the evergreen, you lose the extra sales, you lose the downloadable con- uh, content sales, and you're stuck with your one-and-done physical release and d- digital counterpart, but you know what I mean. And that's yeah. it. So if Zelda works for them, there's no reason they would not do this for every single game going forward because it's just throwing away money. And Zelda being a Switch tile or a Switch launch tile means that if we're ever going to see Nintendo fully dive in, this is when it's going to happen with Switch. Yeah. So that's kind of why I was getting out when saying it's an indicator of what's happening next. Hmm. But it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's what everyone else in the industry does. It's just kind of a well, thing. Well, we're just not as used to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, at this point, we should, though, as you pointed out, like all the DLC that we've been getting. Yeah, but I guess it's just a little different because it's now, like, affecting core game versus just, like, add-ons. It, that's what it is. It was add-ons before, and now it's, like, core. So that, that's that's kind of the difference. Funny enough, I was actually surprised to learn that once the Switch is getting DLC. See, that one makes sense, though. That one makes total sense. It does, it's, it's but like, I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, because it's a we, bunch of tech demos. Yeah, it's funny because, like, 
even going back just to all the other party games like Nintendo Land, Mario Party, Wii Party, all those games are just like made for DLC, like add more mini games and stuff, but we never get anything. And, and now we are, because again, Nintendo needs the I money. Hope, <laughs> they I hope need that seven does, billion yen back. <laughs> I hope that does usher in like, an era where maybe the next Mario Party will get like a Mario Party that's just everything. We'll get a bunch of Master DLC that are just old classic Mario Party, modern Mario Party, just everything. Just make it a Smash Bros. Just dump it all in there. Right. Get all your ideas. That'd out. be cool. Well, the, apparently, make so it a Mario, call it Mario Party aggregate. I don't know. So that's kind of what One Two Switch might end up being, because with One Two Switch, uh, they so DLC is not confirmed by any means. Uh, I know you're alluding to though. They um, had a press event in New York at Nintendo Store. Is. And one of the head developers was like, we had 200 ideas of minigames, and we're probably going to figure out a way to release them down the road, either as like an upgrade. 50 of them aren't that great, though. Oh, I'm sure 50 of them aren't great. I'm sure it's like, hey, you know the cow milking game? What if it was like <laughs> a, show, a, a goat <laughs> or something? But, <laughs> but the goat, you have to go a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> or a little shorter. I think goats are smaller, but yeah, same same idea. But yeah, so they have 200. They would, they would, though. They, they totally would. They have 200 games. They don't know how to go release them, whether it's going to be a separate release, an update, or what. <laughs> you know how many but, pictures we took? That's the <laughs> of people playing, people yeah. milking. <laughs> they just had like all these like costumes, and they're like, "Oh man, they get, that's all they're, where they got their ideas from." I'm pretty sure they just went to the wardrobe department, at, like Warner Brothers, and it was like, "Hey, what can we do with this?" And like held up a Viking hat. It was like, "Dude, or rowing or something." <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's they apparently have all these ideas. They got released in some way. It may not be DLC, but it, I feel like it should be DLC. But more significant than that, which this was a nice segue into One Two Switch. More significant than that, unless they make a sequel called Three Four Switch. Oh, Switch 3, 4. 1, 2, Switch, Switch. No, wait, that doesn't make sense. Switch 4, 5. Oh, we're 3. Then. 1, 2, 3. It, 1, 2, Switch. Oh. Switch 4, 5. Don't, wouldn't it just be 4, 5, Switch? Oh, yeah, that's what you said. Yeah, okay. 4, 5, Switch. Wait, but we're... Eight. Oh, yeah, 4, 5, Switch. Yeah. That's what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> 6, and Switch. Yeah. Uh, and then they get to the weird part where it's like the Super Bowl and they have to start figuring out how to deal with 48. Like 48, 49 switch doesn't sound good. <laughs> do they just say 8, 9 switch again? Do they go back to the basics? Do they prefer it? Anyway, point being, more significant than 1, 2, DLC. switch 2. 1, 2, switch 2. <laughs> Negative, switch 4, 5. But anyway, um, more significant than DLC, I think, is 1, 2, switch. That poor game has suffered from Nintendo's weird communication choices, just like everything else has. And that's because, contrary to what everyone thought, contrary to what we thought, contrary to what we said when we said this game is not worth buying, it is not just minigames thrown together like we play. There are 28 of them, and there is glue that holds them together, so you actually have modes where you experience multiple minigames back-to-back, which is not at all what Nintendo indicated would be. They made it look like you pick one like Wii Sports, you play it, you're done, and it only took like five seconds to play. And you're like, well, alright. Yeah, that's like if you show Mario Party and you're like, so we have all these minigames. There's one where you roll on a ball, and there's one where you have to avoid falling to a platform. We're going to sell this for $50. And it's like, wait, what? And then they're like, oh, just kidding. We also have all this this other stuff that holds it together for you. And it's See, like, this actually oh. sounds like a game that you Now would. it sounds fun. Yeah. Well, yes. okay, now Relative. it actually sounds like a game that you that's worth, that warrants having its own. Yes. And now, of. granted, 50 is a little high still. I think yeah. 40 would be good. But it's not absurd like it was. So there are two main modes in the game. One is a shuffle mode where you just play five randomly chosen minigames back to back, whatever. 28 and all, it'll pick five at random. The other mode, however, is the much more interesting one. Uh, it's called Team Battle. You can have as many people as you want, or well, it's probably a cap, but you have people assigned to either Team Red or Team Blue in your group of friends. Each team faces off in a one-on-one battle of minigames. So, like, you know, you and I could be playing with our respective teams, and one person from my team will go up against one person from your team in a minigame that will randomize and pick two other people for the next minigame. And whichever team wins gets to spin a wheel... And that wheel will determine how many spaces they get to move on this Mario Party style we play or we party style game board. 
and whoever gets to the end first wins. And there's all sorts of stuff that happens along the way. You can move backwards, I think. You can move forwards, that sort of thing. So it's now instead of just saying, I'm going to milk a cow, you actually, and I'm going to do it for two minutes, and that's going to be my Wii uh, one two switch experience, you now get this full-on Mario Party Wii Party setup where there's actually a reason to play and it's competitive and you have teams and you're kind of go battling back and forth. Mm, and to be honest, that's all it needed, but Nintendo didn't say it, so we all assumed it wasn't there, and we all bashed it, and in reality, it still sounds... Or now it sounds pretty great compared to before where it did not. It's just, again, Nintendo, you create all this negativity around your game because you just didn't explain it. It's amazing what saying like a single sentence can do. You literally could say multiple modes are available where you fight in teams against one another to see who can progress further. That at least offers some context to what this is all about. Now the one thing that continues to hold me back on purchasing it personally is there's still zero single player mode. No single player whatsoever. There's literally nothing, which at $50, sure I don't know how to justify that. With. You could take it to a friend's house. Take it to work. Now, see, for you, it's perfect. Like, for you, you have the setup. You We all hang out here. We can get, like, six, seven, eight people playing. Team Two teams of three, two teams of four. It could be great. But if you're someone that wants to play one, two, switches, bizarre minigames by yourself, well, you can't because they don't exist. So just, just be aware of that, um, all of you out there. And uh, on some level, I almost wonder if nintendo's goal of using one two switch is like this gateway for the switch itself was almost a hindrance to developers and that they focused so much on that they didn't bother coming up with single player because it is very rare very rare for a game to not have angle any single player component mm. like I, I i don't know why it is it shouldn't necessarily i mean single player games with no multiplayer are an accepted thing in the industry but multiplayer with no single player you people scoff at here i am scoffing at it that's just the way the industry is i guess but because they they had this whole idea that uh, Nintendo would put out One Two Switch, and then One Two Switch would be this kind of gateway drug to the Switch itself. Like the core gamers, like us, will buy One Two Switch, and then we'll go show our family and friends and be like, "Check this out! Look, there's two controllers on the system right here. We could play right now." And then you play. And those people are like, "Oh, cool! I want a Switch," and then they buy a Switch, and it kind of ripples out from there. It's <laughs> heard them back. <laughs> it's like I got go Best Buy BRB. It's literally like the word of mouth marketing we saw with the Wii, and they're building an entire game to leverage that. And it, it's basically the thing Reggie was talking about. We a while ago were talking about, I think two episodes ago, about the idea of like the footprint. Reggie kept saying the footprint of the Switch will start with the core and kind of expand outward, and this is how it starts with the. This is how the expansion starts. You got the core buying it for so Zelda. So the Switch's asymmetric gameplay. This is the Switch's equivalent of asymmetric game. This is the Switch's Wii Sports, really. Oh no, just like that term that they love to use over and over. Well, again. asymmetric gameplay just meant you're doing different things, well, yeah, different people. But... This one, you're doing the same thing. So, in terms of yes, this is the unique hook that makes multiplayer so much better on the Switch. Yes. Yeah, exactly. that word they have to emphasize. Because right. Of the law. Right. So, because of the laws, are just like... <laughs> because blah blah blah. Oh yeah, but yeah. So this is the footprint thing. This is them expanding it outward. And once you switch is leading that charge, and that's fine. But they may have forgotten to give people who won't be ambassadors something to do with the game, like the single player folk. Like I can <laughs> kind of bring it full circle. Like it doesn't. It's great that you can say this is our Wii Sports, but even Wii Sports had a, a mode against the computer. I played Wii Sports by myself. Yeah. It was fine. I had fun. I can't play Wii One Two Switch by myself. Granted, like, who am I supposed to be looking in the eye when I'm milking a cow if there's no one there? <laughs> but you, you know what? Place a mirror in front of you. Grab both Watch yourself Joy cons. Oh, that sounds so bad though. Watch yourself milk that cow. It's like no, thank you. Um, 
but yeah, so I don't know. It's just kind of an odd oversight, which again is why I think forty dollars might be better than. Imagine 50. there's like an online mode just for, and actually says like use um Skype or some equivalent or the hey, phone the app. Ni- the the, smart, the, oh, the Nintendo sp- account app could, in theory, use the camera. Hmm. Oh, but that's just chat roulette at that point. That's just creepy. <laughs> imagine. Like I don't want bat- to imagine. No. There's a well, no, no, no. This is a battle mode that just pairs you with. Yeah, that would be that'd be something. I else. guess no camera involved. I mean, it would still be able to track what they're doing and give you a score. But I guess it's knowing that, like, huh? Well, someone else and I are milking a cow right now. Yeah, and it's a little weird because like the whole purpose of the game is you don't have to look at the screen. Like they're trying to recreate playing cards, like with poker. You know, like anyone can show up at your house and understand poker was an analogy that I think uh, Koizumi was using in an interview. And um, I don't really once understand you switched... poker though. I mean, I could go okay. So not a, I don't either. Not another so... thing, a card game. I don't... Yes, card game. He said poker, but you're. Right. I don't even know how to play poker properly. But one two switch is supposed to mimic that. Like you can come over, you're handed the controller, you just get it. You're handed a deck of cards. You don't start throwing. You don't start trying to slice people's wrists with them. You understand they're for a game where you them down on a table. That's kind of the idea with one two switch. So we'll see. Kind of a funny aside though. Um, like this isn't directly related. To, it's kind of related, but uh, Nintendo has already kind of proven their ambassador theory with One Two Switch, and it's not even out yet. So, when they went to third parties for the first time with the Switch to demo it, they would end the demo with One Two Switch. And Koizumi was telling Time in a different interview, Time in some of my interviews, but he's telling Time in this interview that how he and the Switch director Shinya Tak- uh, Takahashi, they were personally the ones going to third parties, like major third parties, bringing the Switch, setting it down, walking them through the features, and going, "Okay, play one two Switch," and apparently it just went over super well at every single developer, like Rockstar's executive, well, maybe not Rockstar, EA executives, uh, Ubisoft's executive, everyone, like they said, this is directly. Oh, Rockstar quote, didn't like it. The what? No, the, I don't know if Nintendo pitched Rockstar. I'm oh. using ones that I know for sure are on board with oh. Switch now, but they said, and I quote, "The peak of the joy." That's how Koizumi, Koizumi put it, was during the 1-2-Switch demo. So they're showing off all these features, and I'm like, yeah, okay. And then they hand them 1-2-Switch, and be like, yes. So so the ambassador thing. <laughs> let's does, all make games like, like this. Let's all milk those cows together, guys, <laughs> as an industry. But, yeah, so it is really proof that this ambassador thing, in theory, if you get people to play it, it's going to work. It's just a matter of offering something to those who don't want to be ambassadors, which they're not doing. So we'll see. We'll yeah. see. I'm I'm excited to play it here with you on your copy. I'll probably still buy one and then not play it because who am I gonna play it with? Because I usually come here. Don't you want to get those sweet and my Nintendo points? No, because I buy physical, so I won't get them anyway. Which, by the way, I have a whole bone to pick. Wait, with that. you won't get points if you're getting okay. Physical? So if you get physical games these days, they have not given codes. Here comes a huge rant. You ready? Okay. This is I have spent the same amount of thousands of dollars on Nintendo products as I did back when my Nintendo was around the first time and you registered your product with a code and you got credit for your product and you got cool opportunities. They are not doing that anymore. You only get the cool opportunities and the registration and all that if you buy digital now. The only way you get credit uh, for buying any game... to go game, all digital. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. Well, but, except no. for the single-player game. So. Right. But no points good, for Zelda. So, so the reason I'm going to rant is I... Granted, I'm not the highest spending Nintendo fan or the biggest Nintendo fan in that regard, but I buy like almost all their releases. I buy every system of theirs. I am there day and day. I was there enough that when Nintendo did the Wii preview tour, kind of like the Switch preview tour, what they did is they had hosts in every city throw a party for 30 people. I was runner-up for LA's party. I was enough of a Nintendo person, not just in terms of buying games, but being part of the forum, being a user moderator, all that, that Nintendo's people sent me a long, 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 long survey about being the guy that hosted the preview event for the Wii. Which, if you stop and think about it, is kind of insane. 
I ended up getting runner-up to a guy I knew, so I still got to go into Drake Cool, and he was the better choice to win, honestly, because, yeah. But it would, regardless, I went from that to now the Switch preview tour is going on, and I didn't get an invite. And that bothers me a little, because I'm spending the same amount of money I spent then. I'm obviously talking about Nintendo just as much as I did then, just in a different capacity. Twitter, podcast. And yet, it's like suddenly I'm invisible to Nintendo because they turned off the physical registration. Which they are entitled to do. I'm not. It, I know I'm lucky to be able to have had those experiences, but it's just weird that I haven't done anything different, and yet everything sort of shifted in a way that I now am out of the Dude, loop. You have to get with the times. I do. I do. But I don't want You're to. Dinosaur. I know. I know. But yeah. So like we, as of now, we're not officially going to the Switch preview tour in LA, which I promised all the listeners I was going to go give impressions for. I'm still going to do it. I'm going to go line up Sunday morning if I have to. But um, of that weekend. But. Yeah, it's just weird. Like, I went from... The Switch will be the first system since Game Boy Advance I will not have a chance to try before it comes out. Be it at a demo unit at a store, a preview event, a Comic-Con, an E3, whatever. And I realize the fact I've been to all those is extremely... Like, I'm extremely lucky and I'm not trying to say, like, I've had such a hard life. But it is weird that I've done all that and just out of the blue, I'm, like, now out of the loop and nothing actually changed. So... That's my two cents on that. I really wish they'd bring back physical registration because, like, I buy a lot of their stuff. I want them to know I, I like them. I want them to like me. I just want I want to, to quote a meme from, like, two years ago. I want Senpai to notice me. That's all. And they won't. Well. Whatever. So, I don't even know what we were talking about before, but now I'm all worked out about that. So, you know what? Let's just let's just switch topics. We talked once you switch. We talked Zelda. We talked Splatoon. Those aren't the only games that got updates. There's also new news on Ultra Street Fighter 2, the Final Challengers. And I'd like to use the opportunity to say... Um, I told you so. Yeah, you did. Yeah. So think of this conversation, to everyone listening at home, as an amendum to our conversation in the last episode where we were discussing this weird one second of footage of a first-person mode in the trailer. And I said, "What? what is that? That has to be a hint of something. And you, rather smartly, given everything you know about Street Fighter, I know those are the models from Street Fighter Four. That's definitely a cutscene. I don't know why they would put it there. Well, it turns out they're, they are the models for Street Fighter Four, but they're not a cutscene. It's actually a single-player mode called way of the hado 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 i sound so so american way of the hado <laughs> and yeah you punch things but yeah it's way of the hado um now to your credit you also completely got me uh we're completely right i was completely wrong about world of goo which also last episode we were saying how's it gonna work with the with the joy con there's no point during you said they could use the gyro and i was like i don't know about that they're using the gyro so we're one for one we each got one right one wrong but anyway street fire way of the hado uh hido uh, <laughs> yeah, so basically what this thing is, is you take control of Ryu, you're finding a first-person perspective with the two Joy-Cons, each one represents your hand, kind of arm style, you're punching into this, Although it doesn't look but like, they're not like one-to-one. On, yeah, like based on what they showed, it doesn't look like you can actually just throw punching kicks, you're literally only doing like Shoryukens, which is his jumping uppercut, Yeah, his Tatsu, which is his spinning, his spinning kick, and the Hadouken, so it's just fireball uppercut or spinning so it's kicks. gestures more than actual one yeah. punching which is odd and it looks like they have a cooldown time a pretty lengthy one which definitely made it look very unresponsive when the guy was demoing it yeah because he would throw it out but nothing would come out and then it would eventually work and looks like you could i mean it looks like it could be fun like a fun if you can get over if you can get over all of those weird Thing. uh quirks then you get three modes to choose from. <laughs> there's there's a stage-by-stage standard mode. There's an endless mode. There's a training mode. You can also upgrade Ryu's stats throughout. You can only play as Ryu. Yeah, um, The whole thing uh, seems kind of janky. They did, they did announce that they have a cutter edit mode. Which That's was, cool. Yeah, yeah I was reading about that. Just like, I'm actually kind of curious how it works exactly. Like, sure. Is it kind of paint buckety? Do you just kind of click on the different arms and it just works throughout every single... 
pose, or do yeah. you actually have to paint out everything? All they've pose? all they've said officially is use the touchscreen to color intuitively. Yeah, like and how intuitive do you have to have shading? And with that intuition of color, you, you then can take your custom fighter into arcade mode, versus mode, online. Which is really you can awesome. have up to 10 color alterations per character, which is actually like really cool. Yeah, that's really, really cool. They also but, have a 1400 just, image art gallery in the game. I, I couldn't tell because the image was kind of blurry, but was it? I'm assuming it's on the sprite models only and not the actual HD versions, right? Or the, the Oh, I have no idea. I mean, definitely, do you get to color the HD models or the sprite models? I would assume wherever you color, they map to both, but how would that work? Because they're different. Yeah, because, I mean, some of them have more detail than others. I don't, I don't know. know. See, that's the thing is we learn so the... much yet so little at the same time. This isn't Nintendo's fault. This is Capcom now, but still, like, whoops. Well, I just See, I'm so frustrated. <laughs> I just whacked the microphone. See, like, but... some of them have, like, I don't know, multi i don't know like multi-color thing like let's say i don't know i'm trying to think of a character uh like chun li's camo tattoos i don't even think no they're not tattoo tattoo they're just paint like do you get to paint each individual camo tattoo i don't i, I don't I, know i don't know let's back it I, up. I guess i want to know more info i wonder how detailed but, can but before get. we even get into like how coloring works which most first graders can answer by just opening a coloring book and showing us the numbers you color. But before we can answer that... I'm going to assume it's paint bucket related because if you could do. like crayon it out, then that means you can actually write stuff. Which, which means, means that... it can't be used online because yeah. there's going to be all sorts of it, all sorts of uh, <laughs> phallic everything everywhere. But um, way of the hideout. Is that a missed opportunity to do something better? That feels like a missed opportunity to do something better. Yeah, it's feels, like a casual mode, but why don't you just do a casual version of normal Street Fighter? I don't. I feel like they like, could have used that energy to add like a trial mode, like they have with Street Fighter Four, where it pretty much gives you all these combos that you could practice and try out. Because for the most part, most fighting games like this don't really teach you how to play. They just give you a training mode. They tell you how to do the special moves, but then that's about it. They're like, "All right, here you go." Yeah, I feel like there's an opportunity to have ramp people up into Street Fighter properly, because like. Ono, the producer of the series. I mean, Street and... Fighter of all, like, this is, like, the king of competitive fighting games, yeah. so. And I mean, o- albeit it is Street Fighter 2, but even then, I mean, this is kind of where it started. And so. Ono, the producer of the series. <laughs> oh, very... no. Oh, no. That's my reaction when I saw, um, that's my reaction if they let you draw phallic things on the characters. Oh, no. <laughs> but, uh. <laughs> Not just sounds like you're, like, shaming him, like, oh, yeah. no. Well, what yeah, did you oh, do? no, what did you allow? <laughs> First, it's like, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> but, um. Yeah, he made this whole point during the Treehouse Live for Nintendo Switch. I don't know if you remember this, but he was basically like, we want this game, much like uh, NES Classic was kind of like a bridge for parents and their kids to try the old games. They're kind of envisioning this because it's like an anniversary game of sorts for Street Fighter that you could bring together the new and the old generation to play Street Fighter. And it's on a system that plays nice with different generations. like <laughs> That only plays this old Street Fighter and none of the new ones. So. Yeah, but, yeah, but the, the idea is like you can introduce people with Street Fighter aren't used to it. You see the kids now like, oh, man, I love Street Fighter 2. I want to play this. Oh, I need a PS4. Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> you mean, oh, no. No, but he was making this whole pitch about like you could play like father and son could play together on the same system because it has the two controllers right then and there. Wouldn't a mode where you walk people through how to play be perfect for a game on a system where you're pitching it as the game that you walk people through how to play? <laughs> like, it just seems like the miss, such a missed opportunity, to your point. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's just, I mean, the, the, the first person mode is basically like a casual. It's almost like a Wii. It's something I expect from a Wii game in 2009 or 8, not from today. It definitely just seems like a missed opportunity. It might still be fun. We've seen very little. It looks a little janky, but it's on easy in the video that's been circulating from that Japanese show. 
Like it's the first couple I mean, levels. that doesn't so help who, with the responsiveness. That I, it well, maybe the cooldowns speed up or something, so there's more rhythm yeah. to it. Who knows? But oh no, knows that's who. But um, <laughs> but I just don't get why they're not really trying. They're saying that this is supposed to be an introductory Street Fire, so make it an introductory Street Fire. I don't mean, do like Street Fire plus not Street Fire that is skin like Street. I mean, Fire. when's this supposed to come out? Uh, it's fifty percent done right now, so probably summer or late spring. Yeah, so we'll probably see it at Comic Con. Yeah, probably. They'll probably add E three as well, but yeah. yeah. But while we're talking about third party, can you still tickets available? Yeah, we'll 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 get to that. Trust me, we'll talk E three. Oh no! Oh no! But uh, I just wanted to kind of group games together, just for the sake of <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know what the sake of it is, but just to keep things tidy. So uh, while we're talking third party games, there's one new announcement I personally want to touch on because it looks really cool. I don't know if you've looked it at looks it. Very chill, actually. It, it's yeah, it's uh. It's, um, I don't know how I react to that. It's called Tumble Seed, and it's honestly one of the more interesting uses of HD Rumble. Uh, the game is kind of hard to describe without seeing it, so if you're listening, you're welcome to just pause this, go to YouTube, type in Tumble Seed, watch it, come back, and now listen to me butcher the description, but here we go. So what it amounts to is you are rolling a round seed, and that round seed sits on a flat line, and that flat line moves upward on your screen or more appropriately the background moves down and the line stays where it is kind of and i mean you can kind of move it up and down but either way you're using the control sticks to tilt the line and move it around and when the seed hits things things happen if it's wearing certain suits it can affect certain enemies if it has to hit an it has to dodge obstacles if it hits it it dies it can enter different rooms by going through doors it's basically a roguelike where you're on a little floating plane that determines what how the level progresses towards you if that makes sense that makes zero sense uh, it's so hard to describe so basically <laughs> so hard so it's so hard so hard that what this we sound like Jimmy Fallon or something so cool so cool oh but know. that's what Timberlake's imp- uh, that's what Timberlake's impression of Fallon is basically it's like ah so cool so great you're the, you're the best so great ah yeah yeah but uh, oh no oh no but um yeah so but I guess a better way to describe it is hmm there is no better way to describe it you're rolling a it, piece of it paper. It almost sounded like you were going to describe, like, um... Oh, I already forgot the name of the other game. Something, um, Damashi, the... Tavari Damashi. Yeah. No, okay, so... You have... <laughs> just go watch the YouTube video, people. You have... <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> it's a roguelike. It is a roguelike. You... So, like, Binding of Isaac? It's a roguelike. That's a roguelike? Yes, it's a roguelike in that there are randomly procedurally generated levels. You are, instead of moving freely in the level, you are on a flat line as a seed. And as you tilt the line using the control stick, so monkey ball, but 2D, right? You tilt it left, right. The seed will roll in the direction that gravity would take it. And you use that rolling ability to either dodge obstacles or hit enemies or go into rooms or do stuff like that. Is that better? Yeah, only because I was able to actually look at your hands and kind of gesture it. It really did help. We should do a video podcast is what you're telling me. Would anyone watch that? No one will watch that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, hey guys, check it out. We're sitting in front of a desk. Uh, we don't even have a cool set. Actually, you now do have a cool set. We could totally do a video. Anyway, yeah, so it's like a roly-poly thing. It looks kind of like Loco Roco in graphic style. But what's cool about it is as you tilt around, the HD rumble in the controller, in the Joy-Con, will kind of indicate where your little seed guy is along the line. So it really feels like there's a seed guy ball thing rolling 
on your Whoa. Joy-Con as you're playing it. Like, it'll mirror exactly the placement that on the That sounds kind of cool. So, it, on top of just having the visual feedback, you have the... Yeah, the sensory. Yeah. It's super cool. Um, and, yeah, and you get different suits that you can give them to power them up in different ways and do different things to different enemies. It's, if you see it in action, it looks really cool. It has a lot going for it. The developers were behind, or the developers were part of the people that made Threes and Ridiculous Fishing, which are two really solid iOS and Android games, so there's that in its favor. It has a really cool art style. I think I might have said this, where it kind of looks like Loco Roco. Like that sort of flat, colorful art. Yeah. It's really good. Uh, no outlines on anything. And, um, yeah, that's about, they describe it kind of as like Spelunky, if that helps in terms of the gameplay flow. That's a pretty big indie game. Someone out there can appreciate that I mean, that I reference. played Spelunky, but I don't know how that helps. Uh, in terms of a roguelike structure, I don't know. You tell me. You played I it. I mean, you just like go up and down ladders, you attack enemies, you die, you turn to a ghost, and you can do stuff as a ghost if you're Okay, so you go up and down dungeons. and Just go watch the YouTube video, people. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and of course, the HD Rumble support's pretty cool. So, I just wanted to call attention to it, because this game came out of nowhere a couple weeks ago, and now it's like looking to be one of the more interesting uh, tiles that launch utilize switch, no not launch but spring and it utilizes the sw- uh, switch features namely hd rumble really well and it's 1080p when you're in the dock on the tv and everything so like it really it feels like a good fit for the system so it'll be on spring which is actually pretty soon so keep an eye out for that and again i apologize for the horrible description but it's the only way i could have done it um but it does it does feel like tumble seed and snake pass coming out end of march now and all that is kind of part of this growing trend with cross-platform indie games on switch that are coming out really fast after they're announced like it used to be i mean i don't mean to throw anyone under the bus but treasure knots have been known about for years right and it I, who knows when that's coming out but now we have games that are being announced again nothing against that yeah, game like that game well I know Jules Watson said at some point that he wasn't working on it yeah. and then now just barely after Chicken Wiggle I guess is getting near the phase of being complete he can he go keep, back to it yeah yeah he keeps like tweeting a photo like yep this is a level one Treasure Knots or I'm back into it and the game's fun I, we played it at Treasure Knots? I've played it at oh, something I, I definitely haven't I think I played it at one of the rooftop indie events at E3 all I know is I had fun playing a game that was definitely Treasure Knots at some point in my life, so <laughs> I don't know. But the point is, like, it used to be that when you had an indie game on Nintendo platform, and I don't mean to throw uh, Jewel's Watson or anyone under the bus, but at some, it used to be, due to the tools that were available and the speed at which you could utilize those tools and whatnot, that they'd have to announce these indie games, like, two years in advance, and then they'd come out and you'd be like, oh, that was a thing. But now we're getting announcements about these cross-platform indie games that are coming out within months of being announced. I mean, it's... It's kind of insane how quickly they turn around. Take Binding of Isaac Afterbirth Plus, for example, um, which is a mouthful of a name. That came out on PC two months ago. That will be on Switch on launch day. That is an insanely fast turnaround for an indie game like that. Yeah. And Nicholas, Nicholas, whatever, in an <laughs> I will never get their name right. In an and it will be Nicholas, Nicholas, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be whatever. Yeah. Tyrone of the N Company. Uh, Just call it Nicholas. Is it Nicholas? I, would say I Ni- think it's Nicholas. I, I would say Nicholas. So why are you trying to be a caught Nicholas? I don't know. <laughs> Our friends at Nick uh, have, <laughs> um, they've been saying, they did an interview with, Poly- uh, with uh, Polygon where they were saying that like, it's really Nintendo that made that possible. Like Nintendo has actually made dev tools that are really easy to make games port over for. Likewise, Snake Pass, the developer said they got on Switch up and running in a week. Like that's insanely fast. That bodes really well for Nintendo. And That is fast. 
it is fast. <laughs> they, yeah. And when speaking with, as I say, uh, when speaking with the Telegraph, which is a British newspaper, Koizumi was saying that, quote, soon you'll see a lot more announcements from third-party partners, which sounds to me either the, like the uh, floodgates are really starting to open here as more developers get their hands on these really easy tools or it's just PR fluff. But I like to think it means that there's actually a, like a flood of games coming. And I think actually, all this... Yeah, I, I also like to believe that all the developers are realizing how easy it is to actually port these games and going, like, wow, I want to do this more. I might even make this the definitive one. Yeah, because, I mean, you have a system that has height. I mean, I think that was even described of the Snake Path one after they ported it over that they started to think of the Switch one as like the definitive one. And, that, and I think that's the only one they're showcasing on GDC or something like that. Yep, I believe so. I think I read the same thing. Uh-huh. But yeah, it, it's interesting because Nintendo, for once it seems like, has developed a set of tools <laughs> and a system. <laughs> well, <laughs> Nintendo has finally nailed it, you guys. Because <laughs> I've no, they... heard like, nightmare stories from developers develop, developing for the PS3 and their the blue yeah. cell power cores or something. The cell processor. The cell processor. The... All nine cores. <laughs> With those nine cores, you could do all sorts of things that you could also do on Xbox without those nine cores. And, on, and they're just porting from PS3 to Xbox, or yeah. the other way around was incredibly difficult. Not only that, but if you look at like the Wii U, Nintendo put Unity on there as a tool to get get games easily ported. They did Nintendo Web Framework. They put Unity on 3DS as well. It worked. It took a while. It was buggy. Games just kept getting delayed. Ukulele got canceled for Wii U supposedly because of the issues with that. So now we have a system that's super easy for developers to develop for. It has Unity baked in from the start. It has Unreal Engine 4 baked in from the start. It's not things are trying to jerry-rig into a system that already existed. They're building it with that in mind, which means, yes, it is incredibly easy to finally get games on the system. Miyamoto even said during the investor Q&A, which we'll talk about in a minute, that um, investor Q&A for Nintendo's financial briefing, just to give some context. Uh, he was saying in that that even Nintendo's own developers have now learned the ins and outs of unreal engine 4 wow. which i don't know if that means they're going to use they usually build their own engines but they have used the havoc engine for smash so it's not unheard of to use these cryware um rendering technology all the time so it's not unheard of for them to jump on unreal but if they know it and they learned it that quickly too that bodes well for faster game releases all around and i think the most telling to me about all of this is during that same investor q a nintendo's technology fellow so the head of the hardware and technology for nintendo uh genyo takata who we never talk about because he never is really a public-facing person but he uh, what did you say (laughs) is relevant (laughs) he really isn't unfortunately because he's not public-facing but he was saying that he was discussing this choice about working with nvidia for the switch um for the chipset for the switch and he pointed out that when nvidia started to become like a real thing with geforce and all that nintendo was working with their competitor at the time silicon graphics on the n64's chips and they always thought that nvidia was quote a good rival like it was like oh yeah that's the other guy we're not gonna that's them this is us and they never worked with them they used amd for years after that but then fast forward two decades later and here's nintendo working with this so-called rival strictly because their chipsets offered the power and performance balance that nintendo wanted to make easy for developers to make games of a certain quality on switch that's why they suddenly use Nvidia. so between the tools between the chips nintendo gets it they finally are making a system that developers can super easily and super quickly get games onto, and we're seeing it. We're seeing announcements come rapid fire. Tomorrow Corp putting all three other games out on launch day. Sure, you can announce it in January and have it in March. That's great. A long time ago, in the or in the WiiWare days, that would have been like a year and a half wait. In the Wii U days, that would have been like a nine-month wait. Now it's like six, seven weeks. Granted, they have to polish them, make sure they're bug-free, so there's a lot of work. And of course, they work on these games beyond when they announce them. But the fact that it, the time span is noticeably shorter is... 
a really good thing. The one thing that throws us all off is Miyamoto said in that same investor Q&A that um, with our tools, we've been able to port, like we've seen that games can be ported from PC to Switch in a year. And I'm like, wait, how's that good? That's the old time frame, but maybe he misspoke or something. But yeah, it's happening in a matter of weeks for some games. Of well, course, they need to be optimized. I but mean, the initial for all we know, I mean, maybe, mean maybe, maybe, maybe it always does take that long, but because they wait to announce them until it's closer into release, it doesn't feel as long. Yeah, maybe it's just that, but either way. It's like, like Fallout 4 coming next week, but they actually started the porting process. They like, could just Beyonce a Fallout game or something and just drop it out of nowhere. But uh, yeah, it's just cool to see that Nintendo finally gets it. And not just that, but just as we were going to record this episode, it, I saw on Twitter, I think uh, Emily Rogers tweeted this or something, but Capcom is saying on record that not only do they want to bring AAA games to Switch and it has a good, you know, easy development environment, but they've also said that the dev kits are really cheap. They're about 500 bucks for a dev kit. A Wii U dev kit, I believe, was 3000 So Nintendo is finally putting all their ducks in a row to get indies on quickly and to get games quickly. We used to praise them or give them credit with the Wii U for slowly but surely getting the Nintendo frame, uh, web framework and getting Unity up and running and providing these ways for developers to support games over just the concept of being able to port games over. Now we've seen how long it takes, and we've seen Nintendo respond by going, well, let's speed it up, and they did. So it's actually really cool to see. So for those who are worried that Switch won't have games, we're certainly going to get a huge influx of indie games, and I bet a lot of them, if they're anything like Tumble Seed, if they're anything like Snake Pass, if they're anything like Ukulele, Tomorrow Corp Trio, Bind of Isaac, or any of the other Nicalis, uh, many, many games, it's going to be a good selection of games to choose from. So that, that is a plus. Or Stardew Valley, or Wonder Boy and the, whatever the new one's called. Um, yeah, the point is, there's a lot of good-looking games on the way, so it's cool that developers are actually having an easy time doing it. And all this brings us to the financial briefing itself, which uh, was, for the most part, a pr- not particularly newsworthy one. Um, Nintendo, we talked about the financial briefing, like what Kimishima presented to investors last episode, so this is just the Q&A, which was not particularly newsworthy. Uh, they reiterate a lot of stuff we've heard before, they reiterated their goals for uh, mobile, and they actually said they're open to working with other companies besides DNA, which <laughs> which caused DNA's um, stock to go down because people are like, oh, no, Nintendo's backing out of the DNA deal. But I think I think people need to cool their jets. I don't think that's what Nintendo's saying because they still have multiple games development with DNA. I think what they're saying is if someone like uh, Niantic comes along with an idea like Pokemon Go, like, hey, we have this great idea for Pikmin. Hi, we're the developers of... Clash of Clans, and we have a great idea for Pikmin. Nintendo's not going to go, well, we're working with DNA, so we're just going to clone your idea. They'll go, oh, really? Maybe we'll license it to you. I think we're the that... people that made Hearthstone. Yeah, we're, make... yeah, we're Activision Blizzard. You may have heard of us. We, we have a Skylanders make... game on your console in a week when it comes out. We want to make Nintendo Stone. <laughs> Nintendo Stone. Been, for Angel. Yeah, for you specifically, yeah. Yes. You have been talking about it for years. but <laughs> um, Yeah, it, isn't Pokemon Duel close enough? No. Okay. Good no. chat, good chat. <laughs> but you all elaborate it's on a that. Step no? on the right direction, but it's not close enough. I need a. a you need a carbon copy. Basically, I don't know. But then why don't you just play Hearthstone and pretend all the monsters are like goblins from Zelda? Because you can't. It's the the game is too polished and too. What if they're Bobokins? Uh, Could you pretend if they're Bobokins or Bobokins? Bobokins. And too full of personality to inject your own ideals into it. Because all the cards have their own little animations and voice clips. Like, I mean, I'll you give can't... you that. It's hard to pretend it's Mario or something. All right, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I mean, maybe eventually they'll do parody cards. I mean, they have a Harrison Jones or Indiana Jones or stuff like that. I see what they did there because the actor's name's Harrison, but the character's name's Indiana Jones. They combined them. Yeah. 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 
Anyway, <laughs> no, but uh, while I was getting out with the the thing, so first of all, for people who are freaking about the, freaking out about the DNA thing, relax. But beyond the bigger story out of the Q and A, beyond the DNA thing, I think is this ongoing concept of the Switch and the 3DS living side by side. Uh, we've known officially for a little bit now that Switch and 3DS will coexist in tandem, catering to different markets. But people were sent into what I could only describe as a tizzy, like on NeoGAF and the like, when Kimishima said in, a Q, in the Q&A that, quote, We recognize that Nintendo 3DS as a portable game device meets different needs and fits different markets than Nintendo Switch. And we will keep this recognition in mind as we consider the future of our dedicated portable video game business. And of course... Everyone freaked out and went, wait, what? But they merged their companies, they merged their departments together. What? Are they not making, are they going to have slow releases again? Why is this happening? I thought we, the whole idea was to have more games on one system, but now there's two systems with double the game. It's the same basic thing as when he first said they were going to keep the 3S alive. They like got a second wind of it when he said dedicated mobile or portable device. To which I'd like to say, hi NeoGAF, I'm mainly talking to you. Calm down, please. Please calm down. A lot of people are jumping to the conclusion that a separate portable device from Switch in the future means something totally independent. But we have seen evidence over the years that, so to speak, that that's not what's going to happen. They're going to be linked in some way. I mean, if you look at what Switch, if you look at what 3S and Switch is doing right now, specifically, and I made this point numerous times before, the 3S is getting the B teams. It's getting the second, dev, uh, the second party and third party devs to make games for the first party. That isn't a problem <laughs> nintendo's ead team the ones that make all the core games are still making the core games and are making them on switch so first of all that's less of an issue if you go back to the telegraph interview that we were talking about earlier with um takahashi and uh koizuma and takahashi remember is the director of the switch project as a whole he elaborated a bit on what kimishima said and it gives a lot better context according to him the 3ds strength right now is a cheaper price and it being like a kid's first video game system this has potential, as he puts it, for the system to exist in 2017 and 2018. It's the budget system, as I kind of referred to it before. And he then says this, quote, and the, hope, uh, and the hope there also is that kids playing on 3DS will also shift over to Switch at some point in the future. Switch, if you will. Switch, if you will. So if Nintendo was serious about keeping a portable line that's completely separate from Switch, I don't think they would be angling Switch as the upgrade from the portable line. I mean, granted... They could do that. They can have a new portable system live on as the budget system that replaces 3DS. And presumably they could have the B-team tier continue doing games for that. But they would still need to invest resources in making a whole new platform. They'd still need to do the hardware and the software and the underlying architecture and then get the developers to make the games. And why do all that when you can basically just make a 2DS version of the Switch? I think what Kimishim is saying, and I think what people aren't connecting here, is what we may see is a Switch that has less functionality. Maybe just the handheld mode of Switch as a portable. Much like the 2DS is like a 3DS minus certain things. It literally is just a Switch, but without it comes without the dock. It's a Switch that you don't switch. Why not do that? Why not maybe, you know, something like that, and you can sell it for cheap in three years when the parts are way less. And then, boom, there's your budget system that keeps the portable business alive or whatever and continues to be baby's first console and continues to have games. But Nintendo doesn't have to create this crazy scenario of a whole new platform with a whole new experience. I mean, go back to what Iwata used to say. He kept saying back in the early NX days that they will have one underlying platform, an OS, and they want to put on multiple shapes and sizes of device. Basically what iOS does with iPad and iPhone. If that's the case, Kimishima's comments and Takahashi's comments 
makes sense because the Switch and whatever's mini Switch, Switch Junior, 2D Switch, whatever you want to call it, 2DS Switch, that would do it. That would be exactly what Iwata was saying. That would allow them to do what Kimishima's saying, and that would not cause a huge investment on their part and not hurt us as the gamers who want more games on one system versus them split across two. So, I mean, if you look at that, and if you look at comments from Koizumi and his time interview, he's also talking about demolishing the divide between, quote, the console and, quote, the handheld gaming worlds by having the Switch. I mean, he's saying it so much, though, that he he went on to say, like, we may even break traditional Nintendo release patterns of our consoles, like how we do upgrades and how we do iterations. A new divide? No divide. Oh, getting rid of the divide. I mean, I appreciate the Linkin Park reference, but no divide. Uh, yeah, he was saying that he can see both types of gamer buying Switch. So suddenly releasing a portable down the road, say 100% independent of Switch, just to appease this audience that now is niche because he's saying they're seeing they're, they're anticipating people buying into Switch that weren't previously buying the Switch. That would be a really weird business move, wouldn't it? If they're just like, yeah, we got all these people to convert to Switch. We're combining our consoles, but we know there's like 10% of you who just want to dedicate handhelds. We're going to invest in a whole new platform for you that's totally independent that's totally different games. No, that's not happening. So if you can appease the audience with a par- with a pared down switch, why wouldn't you? Basically, so that's my that's my two cents on everyone that was freaking out about him saying, "Oh, portable will live on." Yes, it will, but it will be a form of the switch, in my opinion. And that's rant number dose for this episode. The first one being reminded ten percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotta give credit though to Takahashi and Koizumi. Uh, they're way more open to publicly discussing ideas about what's next for Nintendo than the old guard. Like, Kimishima makes a weird comment about, we're, go- we're always looking at portables, and then here comes Takahashi and Koizumi basically saying, yeah, but really, it's the Switch. And then, you know, Kimishima says, like, the accessory market for Switch will be key to the uh, a key component to the success of the system. And we're like, what does that mean? And then this is back in October, it's a miracle. And then Koizumi just straight up tells Time Magazine, yeah, like, in essence, I'm paraphrasing a lot here, yeah, we've got this idea about swapping Joy-Cons and other controllers. I mean, that, 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 that's what we're doing. Like, seriously, he basically said that. He went on record, this is a direct quote, saying there's a lot of possibilities for expansion in terms of what you can do with the controller. And then he directly went on to say, perhaps someday, perhaps only one day, we'll just pop up and say, hey, now there's this. That was in response to them asked, to discussing, like, swapping out Joy-Cons for other controllers. He learns like, yeah, one day we're just going to have them. So, or we could have them, which is basically we're going to have them. So, yeah, if, if that's not a confirmation, I don't know what is. But yeah, so and I mean, that shouldn't be a surprise. Nintendo loves money. Nintendo loves selling plastic, and presumably that will bring in a ton of money and allow for things like maybe a Smash Bros. GameCube controller adapter. Maybe you just slide into one side. Who knows? Same interview where they addressed the GameCube controller adapter exactly, and they're like, "Oh, like we could do that, but it, it would look really ugly." No, I never. I didn't see that one. No, I remember. Yeah, someone asked one of the Nintendo people and said that they thought about that, but they thought it would look too ugly. Hmm. And then there's the whole issue with the analog whatever the analog versus digital buttons oh but, yeah that's true but even we were like well i mean you could just have l1 be a medium press and l2 be a hard press because the gamecube doesn't have dual shoulder buttons but yeah yeah no i actually didn't hear that but see that they could do is some sort of joy con I mean, split that is the gamecube i mean i feel at this point people won't really care if it looks ugly it's like oh they're just gamecube controller that's yeah. all they care about they would probably dock into a dock version for championship edition that uses the land play from Splatoon <laughs> for their new esport initiative see i brought together a whole episode um we yeah, have money nintendo likes money those will make money npd numbers represent money let's talk jason sales corner 
How's that for a lazy transition? Wait, uh, you were already in Jason Silver. No, I just I just eased in right now. So um, <laughs> oh no, January yeah oh no, uh, January's MPD numbers are out, and it wasn't a bad month for Nintendo per se. Uh, it just wasn't a very eventful month. It's pretty uneventful. Uh, the industry overall, hardware sales were down nineteen percent year over year. Software sales are up fourteen percent year over year. You can thank. Resident Evil 7 in the number one spot. You can thank old standbys like Call of Duty and Battlefield and Madden and FIFA all in the top ten. You can even thank Grand Theft Auto 5, which was number three in the month of January, like two and a half years after it came out. I don't even know how that's possible. But regardless... Grand Theft Auto. I know, but even then, that's crazy. But regardless, not a single Nintendo platform release... It's probably because of GTA Online, actually. But not a single Nintendo platform release made the list. And for the first time in months, there is no official word from Nintendo on 3DS sales being up year over year. Doesn't mean they aren't, but usually Nintendo likes to brag when they are, so take that as you will. Really, the only success we know Nintendo had on January charts was the uh, NES Classic Edition, which was confirmed by NTPD to be the third best-selling console of the month. Now, that's excluding handhelds, and when you think about it, that's not even that much of an achievement because all that's left is PS4 and Xbox. So the chart goes PS4 is number one, Xbox One was number two, NES Classic was number three, Wii U is probably number four because it's basically dead. Like, it's not really an achievement. It's great that it's still selling, but I wouldn't really call it an achievement in the way that the news is reporting it because you don't have any other option of what would be that spot. Unless the NES Classic was discontinued, they excluded handhelds from that stat. It was just consoles, yeah. So if they, like, I don't know how that's, I mean, that's good, but I don't know what it means because, of course, it's number three. There's no other option. Regardless, uh, one other tidbit we did learn is on the 3DS side of things, Dragon Quest Eight actually held on pretty decently. We don't know numbers, but it was the third best-selling handheld release, or handheld title, in the month of January, only bested by Pokemon Sun and Moon. So either way, it's win-win for Nintendo. And on Wii U, the best-selling game in January was... It's very rare that we get these specific platform charts, but we actually did for once. The best-selling January game on Wii U was... You ready for this one? Minecraft. 13 months after release. Number one game on Wii U. Huh. If that isn't a sign to Microsoft and Nintendo that they need to get Minecraft for Switch out ASAP, I have no idea what it was. Like that, that should be all the indication you need that you really need to get Minecraft out. Are we getting out as the to complete Telltale? We are getting free? both regular Minecraft and the complete Telltale series. Correct. Hmm. But they really need to get regular Minecraft out. I mean, look at that. It's 13 yeah. months later. It's the best selling Wii U game is by Microsoft. What a world! <laughs> what a world! Um, there's also Nintendo's unofficial, like, third platform these days, which is mobile, and that's not tracked at all by MPD, but since we're talking numbers, we did get a few stats from Kimishima during his time interview that, uh, show, even though January was a slower month for console and for handheld, they were still making some decent money, um, on mobile. Actually, technically this is February, but Fire Emblem Heroes, in half a day of its release, already was downloaded over one million times. And already had over five million in revenue, in half a day. I think the interview was conducted around the release, so he only had that half day stat. But that's nuts. That's impressive for a game that's not even like as mainstream as some others. One million downloads in half a day, pretty good. And we don't really know um, how many people are still playing it or how much revenue it's still generating. But it is higher on the revenue charts than Pokemon Go, so it's doing something right. It's like number eleven on the App Store chart as of now. And uh, we touched on this before, but obviously Mario Run's been making money for them. 78 million downloads, 5% of people bought it from there. And Mitomo's even chugging along. For the first time, we have a number, 18 million downloads of Mitomo since it came out. Definitely a smaller scale game. No idea what the revenue is, but nonetheless, 18 million, and they're still supporting it with updates. So 
Hmm. So that's kind of a sense of what's going on on the um, mobile side as we head into Switch. And by the way, I keep mentioning these time interviews. If anyone has any interest in like the inside baseball of Nintendo, these are really good interviews. Specifically the piece about how Shinya Takahashi is like the conductor of Nintendo that works behind the scenes. They did like this whole profile on him. And it's really interesting. Like, this dude is destined to be the next Iwata. He will run Nintendo one day. I am guaranteeing it. But, like, him and Koizumi, they're, like, the one-two punch of, like, what Miyamoto and Iwata were in the last couple generations. I'm pretty sure... Actually, I said that backwards. Koizumi is the Miyamoto. Takahashi is the Iwata. I should make sure the analogy makes sense here. But, yeah, they're they're basically the future of Nintendo. So, like, I tweeted this when the day the profile came out. But, seriously, watch those guys closely because they're... What they do now, they're the spear, they're spearheading Switch, they're spearheading a lot of stuff. So, as Miyamoto reaches retirement age, as Kimishima steps down from his, I believe it's still considered a temporary role as president, these guys are going to be big, 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 big players. So keep an eye on them. But um, but regardless, all the interviews will do. Regardless, all the <laughs> good, all the interviews in time are actually really interesting. So I encourage everyone to check them out. We link to a bunch of them on the blog post. But that brings us to our last bit of news. What? Which you mentioned earlier, and I sort of pushed off till now, and that is E3. Oh. So, for the first time in a long time, E3 is open to the public. There will be fifteen thousand badges given out to the public when it's in June, like for the June show, um, which were available last I checked. Still available. Yes, there are one thousand which were sold out at one hundred fifty dollars. Those were the early bird, but there are still fourteen thousand nine hundred that were made available at the higher $250 price, and that's for all three days. Um, it's basically the next logical step after that E3 Live experiment they did last year where they had like a separate across-the-street mini convention in tents, and this year they're just going all in. Reactions, I feel like, were very mixed. <laughs> the press and the industry folk were pretty bummed because that means longer lines, but of course fans were pretty excited because that means they get to go to E3. I mean, what did you feel like your dreams were coming true when they made the opportunity available? Or are you kind of over? Like, what, what was your... I definitely didn't care. I, I, I've definitely been over E3 for a while. There was a time a few years ago where I really wanted to go to E3. But now I think I was still in college. And that's when Nintendo, I feel, still had, like, press conferences. But ever since um, the importance of E3 has kind of died down with all these Nintendo Directs and people mm-hmm. making their own things, I mm-hmm. just kind of stopped caring about E3. Not to mention the fact that we go to Comic-Con, we go to Anime Expo, sometimes they'll have Ace Attorney, they're a Monster Hunter... We'll play all these games at at Comic Con. We even got to go to a little Wii U event by invitation at Comic Con. It's behind a secret curtain. Quite literally, we couldn't find it because it was behind a curtain. So it it pretty much took away all significance of E3 for me. So when they yeah. announced that it was free, I was like, "Oh, I don't well, want to pay." Well, not free, but open. I mean, oh, open. Yeah, when it was free to the public, free for the public to come in. Um. Yeah, I was just like, it just seemed like too much money. Honestly, I think that's why it, it, it's now it, open to the public. Is everything you just said? It felt like uh, like all right, I already pay. Well, last year we paid fifty five dollars per day for Comic Con. At E three only being three days, that would make it about one hundred and fifty comparatively. But that's how, that's what you pay when you get the early bird ticket. So normally it's two fifty, which already at least for me makes it completely not worth it because. At Comic-Con, I get to play games. I also get to buy stuff. I also get to do a bunch of other things that aren't just video games. Mm-hmm. This is just video games. And you get all the lines without the merch that you buy because it's all like little free swag. Yeah. But Yeah. So I think yeah. you hit the nail on the head with why it's now open to the public. Like a lot of the industry like, oh, longer lines, blah. But the fact of the matter is E3 has diminishing significance. And because of that, they need to figure out a way to get people to go to E3. Like the 
industry is going less. There were 45,000 people, I think, last year. They used to have 60,000, 70,000. The fact is, like, because of Nintendo Directs, like you said, because of everyone doing their own press conference, because of the internet basically just, commodifying just look announcements. look at the Switch and how it's been announced and yeah. shown. Like, none of it, like, I remember we were having this conversation, you were like, yep, the Switch was completely between E3s. Yeah, that Nintendo basically went from... It used, okay, backstory. For years, Nintendo would center every console announcement around E3. They'd announce in January, oh, we're going to reveal a dual-screen handheld called the DS at E3 in May. Then maybe be like, this is the DS. And they'd make it playable for the very first time. Then jump to September and be like, okay, here's the price, and they'd release it. But the centerpiece of every unveiling, DS, 3DS, Wii, Wii U two years in a row, was E3. And then Switch, like, you know what? We don't even need it. We'll show Zelda at E3, and then Switch will come out in October... And then we'll demo it to the public in January and February. Or sorry, Switch will be revealed in October. We'll announce details in January. We'll make it publicly available for everyone to demo up until March, and then it's out. For the first time, they did not need E3 whatsoever, and it worked great. It has more buzz than Wii U ever had, which had two E3s. So, yeah, E3 has definitely lost some momentum. And I think your point about ConCon is exactly part of the problem for E3, not for us. It's great for consumers. It's great for gamers. But there are so many conventions now. You can announce something at any convention, or better yet, just do it online. You can have your whole day to yourself for news with a Nintendo Direct or with a, like the EA, where do like a EA Access, EA Play thing, which they're trying to do during E3, which is weird. But you know, there's PAX, there's Comic Con, there's South by Southwest. There's all these things that people can go play these games at. There's no real reason for E3 to be like the crown jewel that it once was because it doesn't matter. You can get the same publicity, if not more, without it. So now E3 is opening to the public because they're like, well, if we can't beat them, join them. And they're making themselves more of a, like, PAX for LA. Except it's still industry-heavy, and they're still going to have a lot of news compared to other conventions, but they're trying to dabble in the thing that's drawing people away from them in hopes of getting them back. We'll see if it works. I think the bigger thing is not so much the public conventions as much as it is being able to announce without E3. But time will tell. Now, that said... I do understand why the press are upset and the industry's upset because the way E3's doing the public days is kind of not the brightest, or not the best, I should say. Um, don't mix and match your public and press days. Don't, don't do that. All you're doing is the people that need to be there, the press and industry, now have to wait in longer lines to try things, and the people that want to be there and are paying money now have to wait in longer lines to try things. There is no one winning from this except your show floor looks a little more crowded. What I'd recommend is what auto shows do and what I believe Tokyo Game Show does now that I think about it. And that is a press day and a public day or two public days and a press day or something like that. Who cares if you only have 55,000 versus 65,000 on or 45,000 versus 60,000, whatever. Who cares if the numbers are slightly off? You're giving a better experience where you can get more done for everyone involved if you say on this day the press goes and they have shorter lines and then on this day we'll open it up to 60,000 or 45,000, let's say 45,000 members of the public. And those 45,000 members of the public don't have to deal with any worse line than the press does, but they're not adding to the line and making it worse for all the groups. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Like, yeah, so they could literally keep it at 45,000. Let it be a little smaller. You are now selling successfully 30,000 more tickets to the public if you do that than if you say, okay, we'll do 15,000 and stack it on top of the 45 that went last year. Like, that just doesn't make sense. Like, I'm already, I'm already uh, confirmed for E3. I'm going, we'll of course cover it here on the podcast, but I'm not particularly looking forward to. Having to stand in those lines that are going to be extra long. And I don't think I would, if I didn't get into industry, I would obviously try to get into paying because I still like, I like the spectacle of these things. I agree there's less reason to go, there's less news 
there's less to play because there's longer lines but there's something cool about being in that environment I, it's cool that i was able to like go play zelda see the zelda booth experience that weird disneyland that was the zelda booth and then i could walk outside the zelda booth and there there is miyamoto on stage talking about pokemon go with like a pokemon executive and niantic and all that and being like whoa i can literally watch miyamoto directly in front of me like five feet in front of me okay more like 15 uh 15 feet in front of me talking about like all these new things and everything and that to me is kind of cool or i could walk around there's charles martinet greeting people in line or there's E.J. Numa waving to the people waiting for Zelda, like, I, or I met Zelda, or I met Zelda, I met Reggie, <laughs> I met Zelda, you guys, she's real, no, but, and, or I met Reggie, or I met Kimishima, and you can't do that at the other conventions, so the fact that it, it does still have we a did little, the, we did the Charles Martinet thing, at, yeah, but, but that's why I said Reggie, or, oh, I see how you got confused, yeah, Martinet you can meet at other conventions, but Reggie rarely, doesn't really go, we met Bill Trennan at Comic Con once, but uh, Reggie doesn't really go, Kimishima certainly doesn't go, Miyamoto doesn't go, but, I mean, we'll that's still, still what's special about E3. We'll still E3 related. Like we still got to see Reggie take a picture that's of them without see, having to be part of And see, that's E3. the type of stuff that's cool about E3. And the Emoto and Iwata and that marker do. I mean, they were there, but... We oh, yeah. Oh, we saw... Ta- and Koizumi. I have a photo of Koizumi making a cat pose. Yeah, then we saw him at the Best Buy thing. Yep. yep. Not without actually going to No, did I know he'd become the future Miyamoto, which he's becoming. But yeah, there's a picture... One day I'll put it on Twitter or something, but there's a picture of me and him making that cat pose. It's actually at Ramtown.com. If you go to... If you go to Ramtown.com's extra section... And look at Best Buy, uh, E3 Best Buy style from three or four years ago. There's a picture of me and Kuzum, Kuzum, uh Yeah, the two of us doing the hand thing. <laughs> but you're right. That was, but that was all E3 related. I know. Everything was, but all without related. having to go to E3. Right. So all it took even... was using um, Jason's clever stalker skills. Oh, I'm so good. I'm so good. You know how I met Kimishima and Miyamoto, or not Miyamoto? Sorry, Kimishima and uh, uh, Reggie. Your stalker. I skills. figured out I should just eat lunch next to their booth. By their back entrance. So I, there's a table there. There's literally an eating area. So I just sat there with this. Like when I had to get lunch, I'd be like, I'll just walk my sandwich over here instead of going to the front dining area. And it was a normal dining area. People were sitting there. It was no big deal. But then when you're sitting there, there goes Kimishima walking by because it's right next to their booth. So I just flagged him down for a second and said hello. Like, it, it, it's great. But yeah, you can't do that at a convention. So I like, and also E3, they still pump a ton of money into those booths. It's still kind of sense, even compared to Comic Con, it's kind of sensory overload. So, um, yeah, so I like the spectacle. I'm so glad to go, but they really should figure out a better way to do press in public days. So, hey, if any, if any of you listeners, by the way, are actually going to E3, like if you got badges, um, hit me up on Twitter at JSR7. We can hang out. It'd be fun. Actually, uh, you might still be getting in. We're waiting. It will not be fun. Trust We're me. Wa- wow. Okay. Don't hang out with me. <laughs> See if I care. Um, but I won't. Your drums no- blown. I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. I'm not that loud, but uh, or high pitch. Um, I was <laughs> or say, both. I mean, it's possible you could also hang out with Angel, who also is not very fun to hang out with. But uh, that depends on he's waiting to hear back from E3 on that one. So hopefully. But anyway, that's it for news. We should probably talk about what we're playing, real quick. That's true. I did just buy a brand new console to play Hearthstone on. That's not what I meant. And it's not a console. It's an iPad. <laughs> It's, it's, a, it's a console that plays games. Sure, okay. Pokemon Go. Uh, speaking of Pokemon Go, I'm just going to stop you right there. Speaking of Pokemon Go, I... I say Pokemon Duel, but yeah. Well, you got it wrong, so now I'm going to use that to my advantage. So Pokemon Go had a big update, and I've been playing it, and that's what I've been playing. Well, we'll talk about Mario Party, but I've been playing Pokemon Go again. So the Johto Pokemon are here. They're, um, they're around 80 of them. They're integrated with the existing Generation 1 Pokemon, so you're not going to just suddenly see Gen 2 only. It's a mix. And on the one hand, it's great, and it's long overdue. Be warned, 
the 80 does not mean you see all 80 obviously just like with generation one you're only seeing a handful in your area unless you venture out and explore so i've caught six and i've seen maybe four others and it's been 48 hours so all this hype about oh yeah 80 new pokemon this is amazing now you're gonna say like 10 to 12 on average probably unless you go get adventurous which is it's fine but after the initial day or so i'm now back in the same rut i used to always see sand trees now i always see snubbles so it's like basically the same thing just now there's an adorable little angry bulldog thing in a skirt instead of a shrew that is in sand but um the thing is i guess that uh at least for some period of time that's enough to keep me going just adding the new pokemon is enough like i as i venture outside that home and work bubble i'm gonna encounter some new gen 2 pokemon it's gonna be more exciting um it does capture a lot of the initial excitement at least for me of gen 1 when the game first launched like i you know you're actually motivated to go to new places because you don't know what you'll see there um and they've also made some solid tweaks to how it all works i feel like are worth highlighting um so one that i really like is they streamline using berries and pokeballs when you're in the catching screen so berries which are now two of and pokeballs have or two more of i should say have like carousels so you press a button and you just swipe and select it it doesn't open a menu you don't have to like stop move your finger around too much like stop what you're doing and go somewhere else it's just on the bottom you just touch it and then flick it that's it it's really convenient and they've also added this is a monetization thing but i kind of like it there's finally a shop icon on the catch screen so if you're out of pokeballs you don't have to hit run and risk not catching the pokemon you just hit the shop button you buy the pokeballs your pokemon stays right in front of you waiting patiently to be caught which is very nice so so that's a huge plus oh gee they've also flushed out trainer customization which is really buried but actually kind of a nice feature and they added you new mean ev- added trainer customization no you had three shirts three pants and three hats and now you have all these things you could pay real money for like a ton and it's a little buried though and they also add evolutionary items you can buy and get through Pokestops because, you know, like Steelix from Onyx, you need this certain a certain thing to evolve him and all that. So they've added that in. It's funny how, like, you don't really evolve Pokemon traditionally. You just give them these candies. Yeah. So, like, why not just do that with these Pokemon that need a special thing? Like, no, let's just keep that thing to just... Because to... it's called monetization. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, besides that, honestly, not a lot has changed about Pokemon. Like, I'm enjoying it, but it's pretty much the same. I like, mean, at that point, like, they should have, like... Found, like they should have waited on people getting Gengar until they've made trading a thing. That way they could keep Gengar. This. Well, they still haven't made trading a thing, so you're fine. No, I know that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, but like, you can still get Gengar, right? Yeah, you can still get Gengar. I know that. Oh, I see your point. Yeah, yeah that's they yeah. should have like put Gengar behind this wall, behind the so, trade wall, so he becomes more special when you do get it because now trading's available. They have right. this thing to promote it with, and Alakazam, I guess. Yeah, no, that, that's a fair point, but uh, yeah, know, it's, it's until like, then, until then, honestly, not a lot has changed. Like until you do training and that sort of thing. Like as of right now. If you're someone who hasn't played Pokemon Go since summer or fall at its peak, all the little nips and tucks they've made up to this point, the new tracker, the streamlined UI, the stuff they just rolled out with this update, they do make starting again with Gen 2 feel noticeably better than when you were in Gen 1 back in the summer. But if you've been there every step of the way like I have, only maybe stopping for the past month or so like I did, it's perhaps a little less exciting, let me be honest. Like, I'm still happily playing again, but this, all the same pros and cons are still there as were two weeks ago. All that's different is they're hiding under a coat of Gen 2 paint, basically. So what I'd really love to see, is kind of what you were getting to, is I'd love to see Niantic roll out um, actual enhanced gameplay mechanics. Like, we still don't have trading, we still don't have battles. Uh, perhaps we never will, but it'd be cool if there were some enhancements to gameplay to go along with the new Pokemon. Like, I mean, I guess the battle could be just like the gym battles at that point. Yeah, and then you just get um, berries and, and candies and stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. like, you just get items. You don't even need to necessarily get, or you boost their CP a little or something. I don't know, there's ways they could do it. Although, to be honest, from like a perspective of player interest and revenue generation, they might never need to do it. 
they may never need to fall through on battles and training because or i mean trading because if, if they do what they're doing now they can sustain themselves quite a while let's say they roll out a new generation every four or six months that covers where are we on now gen six gen seven in pokemon that covers years seven so yeah that covers like three years of, po- of pokemon go activity if they just roll out generations every four or six months and then in between they could do specific pokemon events like they did with ditto you know they could have um some pokemon held back from each generation and sort of trickle them out after the initial wave of excitement for the new generation right, I mean, we don't even have any i mean a few from the first generation we still have the three birds i'm sure they're exactly. gonna hold back on celebi and that's why there's only Ar- 80 from gen 2 yeah. 80-ish i mean and can you actually catch all 28 no. unknown or just one unknown i don't even know it's unknown to me oh. like i sorry i can't resist i literally have no idea i don't think they're there at all but imagine no, they're definitely an unknown but they could do if they do the twenty eight, all twenty eight. They could do kind of what they do with the eggs back in December, like the Gen two eggs, where you can only hatch certain Pokemon out of egg. Like obviously the Gen two babies out of egg. You have to they be could, in a state that starts with the letter of the no. Unknown. They wouldn't do that, but they could come. They could come from eggs, some sort of special like as techy looking egg or something. Like there's ways they can do it. So I think if they space out the real generations, do these little things in between, that could keep revenue boosted at higher levels and could keep things going. I mean. Ditto and the Pokemon Gen 2 eggs actually did boost revenue to the highest level since the launch of the game back in December. So if they do a sort of TikTok strategy with major editions that get lots of publicity followed by minor editions, it could work really well for them and they never need to roll out real gameplay enhancements. I mean, in the case of Gen 2, it's the mo- it's the featured thing on the App Store right now. Apple sent out an email about it to everyone, like an App Store branded email, like, hey, new Pokemon. It's like it's getting a big push. So it's, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, beyond just like what it does as a game, which is not a whole lot more, it's going to be really interesting to see what Gen 2 does for Go's revenue overall. Like, right now, if you look at the top grossing chart on the App Store, I kind of said this earlier in the uh, podcast, but Fire Emblem Heroes is outpacing it, even with Gen 2. It hasn't moved very much from Gen 2 yet. But it's hard to say if that's because people don't care about Gen 2 or maybe it's too early. Like... The new purchase, or maybe it's just not. Well, I mean, with every generation, you do lose a ton of people. It's true, and, and and that is very true. And part of it is the ways they make revenue are now buried more. Like the new purchasable items, like trainer accessories, you have to go three menus deep in the use in the like the, you know, you click your trainer, you click style, and then you get there. Okay, two levels deep. No, that's three levels. Anyway, you have to go really deep just to find a way to give them more money. And there's no item sales on regular items. Normally, that's a big driver during the Ditto event, the Pokemon Egg event, the Holiday Pikachu event. They were doing all sorts of discounts or lure offers or that sort of thing or holiday boxes. Those are gone. So um, actually, no, I take that back. There's one sale they are doing. If you are out of capacity for Pokemon, you can get the capacity expander for half off. However, they didn't bother promoting that in the app at all. The only reason I even remember is because I not think I saw it on their Twitter feed. So like, they're not even conveying ways to make more reviews. So maybe that's why we're not seeing a big jump from this. Similarly, updating the, the the message updating was kind of slow. I didn't get told in the game until today, and it came out Wednesday, Thursday. That's a long time. And if I don't, if I don't even have the game on my phone, if it's deleted, I don't see it at all. I don't obviously get that alert. So what would get me to come back? Exactly. So they have to kind I of work through anything. exactly. So they have to kind of work through these things. But it will be interesting to see if just releasing new Pokemon. Which for me, for the time being, is enough to get me back in. But it'll be interesting to see if just releasing new Pokemon in mass like this will be enough to get a lot of people back in without any sort of special event or sale or revenue booster beyond just, there are 80 new Pokemon. They're kind of like the first 150, except they look different. Go. Because it doesn't, like I was saying, it doesn't really address any actual flaws with the game. It just kind of puts a new 
coat of paint on it. So we'll see. As of right now, for me personally, I am enjoying Gen 2 very much. It has wrote me back in fully. I'm very happily playing again. I just don't know how long that will last. So I will report back in future episodes and let you guys know. But yeah, as of now, if you do enjoy Pokemon Go at any level, go check out the Gen 2 stuff. It's kind of fun. And we'll just see what Niantic does next. But it's de- this is definitely like a step in the right direction. I'm just not sure if they took a big enough step to make a difference. So we'll see. But that, that's my kind of take on how Gen 2 feels in action on Pokemon Go. Yes. Yes. You, however, and me indirectly, because I was playing with you and others, um, were pre-gaming for the Switch. With a different type of local multiplayer. Almost literally. Yep. Would you yeah. like to take over? Or just we could just silently sit here. It's cool. <laughs> so we finally got around to playing Mario Party 10. I mean, you You've would, owned it for two years? I haven't owned it at all. I still don't. Whose copy are we playing? Matthew's. Oh, that's right. Hi, Matthew, if you're listening. He's a friend of ours. Anyway. Yeah. So you'd think because this is a Bowser-centric Mario Party that I would have it day one, but... Uh, I mean, like he be- played you like a fool. But between the reception <laughs> and the cost and other games coming out at the time, it just wasn't... It didn't really make sense to buy it. And even after having played it, I'm definitely glad I didn't. I'd probably still only buy it if it was on that sale that I saw once. It was like... I think it was 30 bucks, and it came with the Bowser Amiibo. But I missed, on, I missed out on that boat. But long story short, it's... The way we played it, as as a as a pre gaming game, it was actually pretty fun. It was chaotic to say the least. Chaotic is definitely a good word to describe it because it's very very unbalanced. The game basically wants Bowser to win. You play there are three it's modes. So rigged. Yeah, there's an amiibo mode, a regular mini game mode, and then there's Bowser mode. And Bowser mode, the person on the gamepad places Bowser. They roll like an a bajillion dice to catch up to you because every time the people in the little car, because everyone still moves together in a little cart. Um, they each roll their die, they move forward, they try to get as far away from Bowser as possible. And then Bowser gets to throw a bunch of dice to try to catch up to them. And yeah, even if you roll a very small number, the game will be, Hey, you didn't roll enough to catch up to them. Here you go, have a re-roll. And we're all like, what? Really? Literally. Yeah. No, but like literally. It's like, oh, better luck next time. By the way, next time's right now. Do it again. <laughs> it's so yep. weird. So then Bowser catches up. You play a mini game. Everyone has health. They start with six health, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And every time Bowser hits you or does damage to you, you decrease in health. And if you and if Bowser knocks out all four people over the course of the different mini games you play, then Bowser wins. The people that are knocked out aren't completely left out of the game entirely. They get to roll different bonus dice to give to you, so that you can eventually try to resurrect them. And Either way, it's it's too easy for Bowser to win, which, I mean, does make him feel like a very big threat, but it's not that much fun if the big, if the big threat is almost like a guaranteed death. At this point, it's like, how long can you go before Bowser kills you? I mean, Endurance even... versus skill. Well, it was never skill in Mario Party, but yeah. yeah. I mean, even when we were like, oh, okay, we're going to play against Jason, we're definitely going to win. And albeit, we did go the farthest... Wait, wait, hold up, hold up. We're definitely going to win? I mean, you did win. <laughs> But it's not definite. It's never definite. No, we didn't win. I thought you did win. No, the game ended up... Well, I just assume I lose at every video game, don't I? Well, there you go. <laughs> hence why the, we had... Hence the attitude. So, not only did we make it all the way to the ending, because I think when we played against our friend Eric as Bowser, he killed us, I think, after the second time. After yeah, the second turn. Like, Bowser caught up, wiped out, like, two of our teammates, and then he caught up again, and then that was it. We didn't even make it to the second transition. Then Elvis played, and we got a little further. Um... 
and then I played. We got a little further, and then Jason played, and we made it all the way to the okay, end. Okay, all right. We already ham up the fact <laughs> that I almost lost. Okay, anyway. I like how the game's so unbalanced, and yet we still almost beat it. <laughs> I know. Well, basically, so we got to the very end, and instead of the game just telling you, all right, congrats, you made it to the end, they decide to pull a, all right, here's the star that you can grab to win, but instead of just handing it to you because you made it all the way to the end because Bowser is so unfair, we're going to hide the star between these three characters. Just guess who. Oh, yeah, it's a shell game. Yeah, just guess who has it. They don't even shuffle it. It's just guess who has it. I knew who had it because I picked. Now, yeah. to be clear, everything he's describing, so there's that side of it, what the players see who are, this is asymmetric gameplay as prime here. The the people on the TV see one thing and the Bowser see something else entirely on the gamepad. So everything he's describing that's super unfair is super unfair, but it's controlled by Bowser. It's controlled by me. In well, I mean, except cases. for the stuff that I'm just describing, where that was just literally just the game going, you can't win, you have to... No, 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 but what I mean is like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What what it tells you you'd have to do is then determined by the other person. Mm -hmm. So it is incredibly unfair and incredibly lopsided and incredibly weird, but at least there's a person behind the ultimate yes or no if you win or not, which is me or you or whoever's Bowser at that time. And don't get me wrong, I mean, it was really fun, but it's it's a game I would definitely only recommend if you could find it for a very good bargain. The thing I don't get about Mario Parties as a whole, so this was... The, this was the Mario Party, the concept of what if all those Bowser spaces had a person behind them controlling them? Like, not just a Bowser character, like an NPC, but like an actual Basically, human you those play were like the Bowser style minigames. Yeah, yeah, and that's the entire premise. Like, all the minigames are exactly that. It's the it's three versus one. Four you, versus one. Four versus one. You have to do stuff like, as Bowser, you have to breathe fire into the microphone and he sprays it on the screen and that sort of thing, which is actually kind of fun. But it is like you are definitely doing the Bowser spaces as an entire Mario Party. Why? Who did decided that that was all you need to make a new mario party it's literally mario party 9 but with a person playing as the bowser i don't i know that you run out of ideas when you get to the 12th mario party even though it's only called 10 but um at some point you need to like make things modes instead of whole games like if this was a mode of a regular the main menu oh my god it's just like four big buttons and that's it like if exactly that's what i'm getting at like if this was Mario Party 10, Bowser mode, or traditional party, its value shoots way up as a game. Because it's like, okay, sure, I kind of want to play Bowser mode, but I also haven't bought a Mario Party in however many years, let me play traditional party. And that makes this game worth buying as a game. But this is just like one weird lopsided offering with no counterpart, no balanced counterpart. I mean, there is like... There's a little. There's something like traditional party in the Amiibo where, depending on what Amiibo you scan, you get to build a little tiny board game. more money to do that. Yeah. And that, and it's funny because, like, that part is, like, the closest you get to classic Mario Party that they haven't had since, like, Mario Party 8. Where you actually get to grab stars and move around the game board, but the thing is that those don't have minigames, so... Like how did you how could you mess that up? I don't but, get why there's never a traditional mode in all of these. Like, it, and and the thing is, like, we are just saying build it's, on top of it, don't replace exactly. And it is super. We are being like, oh, the game's so unfair, etc., etc., which it was. But the thing Mario Party does well, and I have to give it credit with this one, is it was incredibly fun. It was super lopsided, but it was super fun in its lopsidedness. Even when we lost in like two turns, it was like the ridiculousness of it made it kind of like, oh, we gotta do this again, we gotta do better. Like that, that's Mario Party's magic somehow. Like, for yeah. all we're bashing it and its structure, we played for, like, a long time. So, we were playing for quite a while. Well, enough for one rotation, but... But that, we played for, like, a good hour and a half or something. Yeah. But even then, I, it is fun, but it's definitely not it's worth... It's not worth full price. Yeah, it's no. definitely not worth 50 bucks. 
definitely. Well, I'd love not. to see is if they do a Mario Party for Especially Switch. because there are only four stages. Like, we were four people. Oh, yeah, that's right. So there are only... I mean, we were five people, but one of them is Bowser. So, yeah, there are only four tracks. So after that, it's like, all right, I guess we're done. I guess what I was getting at with the, like, it was incredibly fun still is, like, even with the soft sinus and all that, the concepts they were presenting were fun to do. Yeah. There just wasn't anything to back them. And that is why I think they should make all the Mario Parties kind of the same. In terms of, not kind of the same, but always have the same core game and then they pile on top. Like, I feel like even the the um, the 3DS Mario Parties offer more. Oh, yeah, those are fun. I yeah, yeah, like yeah, the 3DS yeah. Mario Party. Like Star Rush or whatever. So, what I'd love Absolutely. to see for a Switch Mario Party is if they basically say, here's traditional Mario Party, here's the Bowser mode, here's the this mode, here's the, the here's Amiibo mode, here's that mode, here's choose your party. And I realize that means less money for Nintendo in the long run because that's fewer Mario Party games they can pump out. But you hey, know, DLC. But you know, as, yeah, I was going to say, one, DLC. Actually, that's a good point. I wasn't going to say that. But but you know the just case. Just start with the core one and just keep adding to it. And here's the problem. If you keep pumping out games that are that short and that tiny, your franchise will die because people will stop buying them. So it's a fine line to walk between you want to milk it, but you don't want to milk it too hard. And, and I think the solution mode, that will is, make it infinitely better already. I think the solution is online. And I think the solution is DLC. And I think they just need to make like the Mario Party, the Mario Starter Pack, or the something. Mario comp- the, Mario the Mario Party, Party Compendium. Party, yeah, the Mario Party Starter Pack, and then from there it builds out. Do it like Jackbox games or something, where they just kind of stack on top of each other, or something. I don't know. Actually, that's a bad example because the Jackbox games do exactly what we're saying not to do. So ignore that. <laughs> but but those work because they're way cheaper. Yeah. And there's more depth to them. And it's not as lopsided. So it's actually true, equal play. So. Yep. So yeah, but it was it was a good experience to play Mario Party 10. Like we haven't done a local multiplayer Nintendo game that was more party oriented, that wasn't Smash Bros, it wasn't anything like that in a long time. And as Switch is now two weeks away, it feels right to have gone back and played like the type of Nintendo multiplayer game that they're really known for. It's kind of like ridiculous. Everyone in theory is on the same level, except Bowser isn't. He's way better. But to be able to go back and do like this sort of like crazy nintendo multiplayer instead like serious smash bros was kind of a nice change of pace as we segue into one two switch and bomberman and mario kart 8 and all and splatoon and all that with switch in the coming months so it's a good little pregame yep i agree now before we wrap up i do want to emphasize something one more time oh boy this is our last episode before the switch like we're finally there it's really happening we we spent the last, let's see here, 2 hours and 12 minutes and 27 seconds in large part nitpicking a lot of weird little tiny decisions Nintendo made about the rollout and about the features and about the games. And it's really honestly because we care. Like, it's because we're excited for this thing. Like, I'm super excited for this thing. We've been talking about this since the start of 2015, and here we are two years later, or whenever in 2015, and here we are two years later, and we're actually going to play it. We're going to own it. We're on the cusp of a new Nintendo era. We get to finally play Breath of the Wild. We get to finally hear just how satisfying that Joy-Con click is when you put it into the Switch body. We get to go stand in front of a Best Buy in hopefully not the rain and get our systems at midnight. We get to take our Switches to wherever we want to take them. Work, airplanes, buses, and like randomly bust out Barman multiplayer matches without needing to have another person with another console, just two controllers. We get to like do all this stuff that we've been talking about for so long and now it's actually happening and that's really cool it's also close it's all like it it feels like it shouldn't i feel like this doesn't feel like the system's coming out in two weeks like i feel like it feels like we're way further away from the launch but it really is 12 days away as this as of this going live like that's not we're actually the finish line is in sight there's light at the end of the tunnel so i don't know i'm personally super excited i guess i'm the only one (laughs) I'm managing my expectations. I, I'm not because I'm I'm not, and I'm going to regret it. But no, I'm, I, we'll see. 
who has the better experience, either the hype guy or the guy that's keeping him checked. I mean, I'm sure I feel well. Oh, you'll probably have the longer experience because I don't play my games enough. But, um, yeah, it's just really cool that, like, I don't think there's any single thing we've talked about on this podcast for as long as we have in a speculative pre-release rumors, hype, whatever manner as we have with NX, and which is now Switch. Like, that was such a long arc of coverage. And it's finally winding down. So in our next episode, as you can probably guess, it's our big Switch launch blowout. Oh, so that means this podcast has actually gone through two launches? We yes, we just... started a year before the Wii U. We're continuing. I almost said finishing, but we're not going anywhere, I don't think. <laughs> we're continuing with Switch. <laughs> and finishing with the Switch. And we're finishing with Switch. Thank you, everyone. Now that Switch is coming out, we are ending forever. No, not at all. We're going to be back in two weeks' time with our next episode. We're going to have impressions of the system, the, games we, the impressions of games we got, perhaps stories from our launch day pickups, if there's any funny stories. And maybe, if we're lucky, if Nintendo somehow heard my pleas, uh, impressions about coming Switch games like ARMS from the Switch preview tour in LA when it gets here. I mean, we don't have an invite to my Nintendo, but I will go stand in line, and I will go play ARMS, and every and nothing else because um, Splatoon 2 will be downloadable two weeks later. But I will go play ARMS. And I have homework to do that morning, so I can't go even if I wanted to. I will play in your honor. I'll drop a Joy-Con on the floor, just like when you pour a, one out. <laughs> just have a FaceTime video going. I can do that. And hang yeah. it on your neck. So I can see a, a, that, a POV man. version of it. I guess. I'll try. But... But either way, because of this tour, because of the launch... Take a, take a shirt with a shirt pocket. I can do that. Yeah. Okay, remind me that weekend. But uh, right. I could periscope it so the viewers can yeah. watch too if they're curious. Although everyone would have seen the Switch tour by then. Everyone's going to be playing their Switches. In fact, we're going to be playing our Switches, which leads me to my next point of that weekend, we need a chance to play these things, to talk about these things. So we're pushing the podcast back one day. Instead of going live on that Sunday, we will have our next episode on Monday, March 6th. So we actually can, you know, give you impressions and not to be like, well, I turned it on for two minutes. It's pretty solid. Uh, so, yeah, you don't want to miss the episode. It's definitely, you know, a launch episode's a big deal. It's one of the biggest of the year. So um, you can follow us at Ram Nintendo on Twitter. You can subscribe to us on whatever podcasting app you're using to make sure you don't miss it. We'll, of course, remind you when it's live that's going to be, you know, that's live a day late. And you can also follow us individually if you want to hear all sorts of switchy things from our accounts as we approach launch. I am JSR7 on Twitter. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore o on twitter and until then like this is the last time we're going to sign off in this pre-switch world so i guess we'll see you on the other side